everybody to a special episode of The Sheriff. Guys, right off the hop, I have the true legend. He's also a trailblazer. He's also a huge idol of mine. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Val James. Val, how are you doing, my friend? Doing very good, Sean. Thank you for having me on the program. I'm, uh, I'm enjoying the heck out of myself right now. And well, I hope Val, we can, you know what? Go ahead, please. And I hope that we can have a real entertaining show for the guests that are listening. And for all of you out there, thank you very much for listening. Why, thank you, Val. That's incredible. Um, I'll tell you right now, Val, I'm a little bit nervous because you are a really, really big deal to me. Um, I've looked up to you for a very, very long time, okay? And it's just an absolute honor to have you on our show. Um, my co-host, Kyle Warner, um, unfortunately wasn't able to make it today. Um, so Kyle also wanted to give his best regards and say hello. Um, I also have a big part of my team, um, our official artist, Mr. Danny Granger of Danny Granger Art. Um, he also wanted me to say hello and give his best to you and your wife. Well, told Danny, thanks a lot. He did a fabulous job on that Sharpie picture. Oh man! Oh, you're talking about your 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 portrait from yeah. Danny Green's right? Look at yours, going holy mackerel! Yeah, here maybe I'll flash it real quick in case you well, want. Hey, hey, you know what? Since we're in the mood, we'll do that, Val. Just for the listeners out there, right now you're just hearing an audio, um, like audio of our show. But right now, me and Val can see each other. And we do plan on showing our Danny Granger posters um, together in a shot, which we will release, and you guys will be able to see on social media. So that's actually what we're doing right now. We're both holding up our por portraits of Danny Granger art um, that he did for both of us, and we love it. Right, Val? Right. <laughs> I, I, I looked at this, and I just couldn't believe it. I'm going, wow, that's all Sharpie? That's... That's a, quite a talent. Yeah, it's, it, it's a big talent. And, you know, I want to get into, you know, Danny Granger art, the buildup of our podcast, which Danny is a huge part of, and everything in the show. The show is just going to be jam-packed of, of great content here, buddy. So I, I, can't, I can't wait for this to get going. But what I wanted to mention, Val, is before we actually started recording, you know, I was saying to you, you know, we, we were talking for about, you know, 15, 20 minutes, and, and I was saying, you know, I really like the mood that we're in, so let's get this recording going. And it's true. I, I feel very comfortable with you, brother. And I just thought, I was thinking to myself, it would have been incredible if we ever did get the chance to play together. We do look to, like we're the same age, but you're a little bit older than me. Yeah, only a few years. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, like, I, like, man, we have a lot in common, Okay. Um, we, your career was better than mine, but, but we, you know, we both sought after the same type of thing. We wanted to protect our teammates. We both wanted to make the NHL, which we did. I got a sniff. You had a little bit of a stay there, which is very impressive. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Well, well, I got the one, one regular season game, right? So I always tell people like, they're like, oh yeah, I heard you play in the NHL. And I'm like, well, you know, I got a sniff. I got to see what it was like. Right. But you had a, a pretty good stay there. Like, like, I know you had the 11 regular season games, right? Yes. Yeah, it was a regular, 11, 11 regular season games in the NHL. 
Um, but my point is, is that you were up there for a while. I mean, even my one game, Val, I mean, I was up there for five days. It seemed like I was up there for a month. You know what I mean? I've been talking about it so much that it might as well have been five years. Well, right? well you know what it's like when you get up there. First off, you're trying to keep up with the other guys that are skating around. And then, once yeah. you know, it takes about two or three days to get into the groove. And then once you get into the groove, now, now you go into that learning mode of what the NHL really is. And then once you get that and you go back down, you know, it seems like the, the, the American Hockey League is like, like child's play at that point. You know, and then, then you, what happens is you slow back down and you get back into the, into the, the, the speed that they're using down there. But uh, going up, I've got to tell you, it was, it's like, it was like going into a whole new world. It, the, the guys are faster. The plays are definitely made faster. And the thing was that anyone that's, that's played any type of professional sport knows that when you play minors, you try to count to three, and on three you've already made your play. You know, in the majors, you're, you're making your play at two. Okay, you go on one, and at two, you're already in motion to make the play, you know. So, and the guys are bigger and stronger as well. Of course, you know that, you know, by, from running into the few of the guys that you, did, you ran into up there. Now, it's a very exciting experience, and like you say, it was something that we worked for. And as you did, I did a lot of off-ice training, you know, because, uh, you know, it didn't get the ice time that, that everybody else got, so you had to make up for it off-ice. And then that way, hopefully, when you got on the ice, you looked like you were somebody instead of just a piece of crap skating around out there, right? <laughs> exactly. Now, Val, okay, so, like, I, I try to, it, with my guests, I try to get guests for my show that, uh, that, that I feel that are part of my story, that I, are part of my career. The reason why you're such a big part is because you open doors, brother, not only for me, but for so many people, Okay. I looked up to you for – I'm sorry, go ahead, Val. Thanks, Sean. No problem. No problem at all. I looked up to you just like many others did. And I find that because I've talked about you, because I've thought about you, because I've been inspired by you, that you're a part of my career because you've helped me along the way. If it, maybe it not have been, may not have been you right beside me, but it was mentally you were helping me, Okay. Because there was a lot of things that I had to go through, Val, in my life playing this sport, okay? And I'm saying this to the trailblazer that made it all possible for people that, Val, I, I mean, I, I couldn't imagine some of the things. We're going to get into some of it, but what I really want to get into now, because I, want, I know the listeners are interested in what I'm interested in. I want to know Val James as a young kid. Now, I've done my research. I know where you were born, okay? I had actually never heard of the city before. Ocala. Okay. Ocala? Ocala. Ocala. Ocala, Florida. Where is Ocala, Florida, Val James? It is about 15 to 30 miles from Silver Springs. And if you put your finger right in the middle of Florida, you pretty much put your finger right on Ocala. Okay. So, and, and thank you for describing it like that, because I'm a visual learner. We're putting our finger right in the middle of Florida, okay? Right. So that's where Valmore James is from. Now, Val James, what year was this? This was, this was 1957. 1957, right. Ocala, Florida, right in the middle of the state. Val James, how in the heavens did you end up in the National Hockey League? 
Well, what happened in Florida? How long were you there? I was there till about I was uh, three years old. So if, by 1960, we were already moving up to New York, uh, Long Island. Okay, so that's a good start for hockey. So, well, sort of, but it kind of takes a, a strange turn here. Okay, now I, I, I get there and I start playing foot sports, you know, like running, uh, soccer. Uh, I even did a little bit of track and field. They wanted me to throw the shot put, and they wanted me on the football team, but I, I didn't play for the football team because I was playing I was trying to, to start hockey at that point in time. Like, I didn't start till I was 13. You know, I knew nothing, no skating, no anything. Just just get out there, learn how to do it, and then try and keep up with the boys, more or less. So um, it was uh, – I can remember – the first part of being on Long Island, I, I lived on a farm. Like a lot of people may know it, but um, it was horses and potatoes, and it was probably about 300 acres, right? So there was a lot. I, my, my chores were cleaning the stables and making sure the horses were fed and watered and that, and maybe sometimes go out in the fields. But the, the fields were so big that probably around, I'd say, June, middle of June, end of June, the migrant workers would come up from down south and would start helping getting everything ready. Like my dad took, took over the overseeing part of the farm, uh, when they weren't there. So he planted all the plants in the spring, and then by the time everybody showed up, the potatoes were producing. So uh, at that point, when I was living on the farm, I was living in a little place called Stony Brook, which is probably about a 10-minute ride at 60 miles an hour from uh, from Hop Hog. And Hop Hog was, was a 10-minute ride at 60 miles an hour from the Long Island Arena. So we're talking 10 miles, you know, from each place. So... Uh, I can remember uh, we were, we were, I was on the farm, like from the time I was small, probably three, four years old to the time I was about 12, 13. And then my dad took the job at the rink, and uh, that's when we moved to Hop Hog. So, uh, and it, it, so we moved there, and, and I started playing soccer. Actually, I, played, I was playing soccer for my mom, right, because it was really, you know, she needed something to do, I needed something to do, and I was kind of a little chunky kid, so I had, I had to go do something to, to knock off some of the baby fat. So yeah. once I started doing that, I probably lost about 10, 15 pounds right away. You know, we're talking, I was 13, about 225 pounds, right? So I was I was 5'9", five, 5'10", five, but I was still chunky, right? So 225 pounds, though? Yeah. Oh, yeah. When you were 13? Yeah. Wow. Big kid. Chunk side. You know, I was, I was loving those uh, Slurpees and McDonald's and everything else I could stuff in my mouth, right? So, now, what about your, your what about your pops? Is he a, is he a big boy? He was. He was. Uh, I've got my, my my dad actually died in uh, a, a few years. Actually, died the year he got the contract, which was 1980-81. So uh, I can remember uh, like he died of cancer. He was using um, all you know all kinds of uh, pesticides to spray the farm. So I'm I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, brother. Well, thanks. But uh, you know what? It was a little hard for me to get over the first few years because uh, my dad was, was pretty much a driving force behind what I did, and he was always there for me. Because I can remember uh, once I, he asked me, once I got good enough to actually play on an all-star team, which was back home at the time, he, uh, and I was being scouted maybe as a prospect to come up to Canada and play in a junior system because in the States we didn't have a junior system. You know, we, we, we barely had a, a, a level, I think, it, what is it, tier Tiered, um, um, tier two, probably, like junior yeah. A? Well, yeah, it was more like a, soon, a junior C. Okay. Uh, but uh, a well-organized junior C, we had a, a really good team. So we could have probably competed with junior B teams as well. But, but we, we would have really held our own in the junior C leagues up here. Um, 
And, you know, like I was saying, the in, in the States, they didn't have any hockey, really. We had hockey, but we didn't have hockey when it came to an actual development program. And thanks to the Canadian people that were coming down playing with the Rangers and Philadelphia and places like that and, and sticking around the area, they were able to, to bring our level of hockey up to maybe be, to be um, not quite equivalent with Canadian hockey because, you know, you've got to learn all these other little things before you can say you're equivalent to anything if you really think about it. And uh, mm-hmm. so we uh, we were, we're – I remember we were, we were playing – I was playing on the, the Met League team the high school team, and the traveling all-star team all at the same time. So I, I was doing probably close to 200 games a year, you know, just, just in minor hockey. And then that didn't count the practice or all the times that I went on the ice with the guys for pickup hockey. So we, my dad sat me down. Like my first my first racial experience came when we went to, uh, uh, I won't say the name, it's in, uh, to Michigan. I won't say the name of the city, though. And uh, it's in the book, if, if anyone reads the book. Uh, and then uh, the name of the book is Black Ice, uh, ECW Press uh, for Publishing House. Um, guy was recalling, call, yelling at me from the stands, calling me names, okay? The name, not, not just names. And so, uh, and I, I was kind of oblivious because I, where, where I was from, we all got along. We didn't really, no one called anybody anything derogatory like that. Uh, so I, I don't know who he's talking to. I'm just kind of. I'm blue on, taking slap shots, and finally walks up to the ice and leans over the boards and points directly at me, gets my attention, points directly, I'm talking to you, and bomb, right? And I was like, oh, man. So I was kind of devastated. I was like, you know how you, my heart was? I was in shock. My heart was, I could feel my heart through my chest. I was like, wow, this is crazy. I wanted to cry. It was like, it was like a, a whole emotional spill at the, at the time. So the guys uh, that I was playing with realized what was going on, and they kind of come over and and shooed the guy away pretty much, you know, <laughs> more, more, more like uh, tomahawking at him, and he took off. So, and, and how old were you at that time? I was, I was 13. Okay. Well, I, you were 13 to 14, about like in that range. I was actually, I was actually 14 because I, I was skating pretty well at that time. Um, so I never said anything to my dad or to, to my mom about it, but, all the the other parents that had come on on this trip with us had heard had heard and seen it, and then some of the guys on the ice had told the parents, so the parents told my dad. So I he kind of grabbed me and took me to the side and says, uh, "Something happened on the on the trip." I go, "Yeah, we won." <laughs> he goes, "No." He goes, uh, y- "You were accosted racially." I go, uh, "Yeah, I was." And he goes, "Well, now's the time. I guess we should have this talk." So if you're really going to get serious about this, you've got to realize that you're going to have to put up with a lot of this. Now, now, do you want to do this or you don't want to do it? And I, I wanted to do it. I said, I, I could take it. You know, uh, famous last words, right? So I, I, I ended up uh, getting through that. And uh, we, went, we ended up coming up to Midland, and we had to make a, a week's stay over in, in, um, in Toronto. And we had to skate with the, the Marlies who at the time were junior team. You know, now they're, they're an American Hockey League team. But uh, back then, and, and Mr. George Armstrong was, was the coach, and he ran the whole organization. He was the coach. He was the president. He was vice president. He was everything, right? So he saw us coming up, you know, American kids, and all the other kids were making fun of us because they thought we couldn't skate or anything. But shit, man, we, we, we tore it up, okay? And after, after two days, Mr. Armstrong just said to him, he goes, 
you guys are more than ready for for Junior B. He goes, but I got to keep you for a week because this this was the stipulations of Hockey Canada. They wanted to make sure, and I can, I can understand you don't want anybody coming into a league and being not quite ready for it. And so they wanted to make sure that we weren't going to get hurt because that would look bad on them. You know, if the kids come up and they can't play and we stick them in a league where it's way over their heads and then they get they get hurt, you know, it doesn't look good. So I ended up getting to Midland. It was great. We got out there. The coach loved us. Our players hated us. Parents hated us. <laughs> but but uh, they they came around. Like I can remember, we we played Owen Sound. We played Collingwood. We played Barry, and uh, and yeah, yeah. So it was uh, it was it was quite a league. We only had like five teams at the time because the league had folded and then had come back a couple of years before we got there. But the team they had were kind of chicken shit. Okay, they they wouldn't go yeah. in the corners. They would they wouldn't do anything really. Because well, they didn't really have anybody backing them. You know, they were small, speedy guys. They're good hockey players, but you know, if you're scared, you can't play your game. So that's where we came in, and like I came in, I was tipping the scales at at about 190 at that time, 200 pounds. Uh, we had another kid with us. Uh, he was 5'10". He was 190 pounds. Our goalie Tom Hasenthal, he was six foot six, and he was he was like really? scales. Of, yeah, at about 215, 220. And good goaltender. Like, he, he would remind you of uh, Trechiak, the way he played. Good okay. goalie, wasn't afraid to come out. And, and you thought Hextall liked the fight? Man, this guy could kick some ass, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he could. He was a really good guy. So, um, Valdau, yeah. the, group of peop- the group of Americans that you speak of, how many of them were of you? Like, you said that there was a group. Right. There were six of us that went off. Okay, so those six of you, was there anybody else with any ethnicity, their background, or were you the only one? No, well, we had an Italian guy, we had a German guy, we had an Irish guy, and we had a black guy, who's me, and uh, and that was, it was just a mixed bag of tricks, right? And we all so, got a- so it was a mixing bowl that came up. Yeah, and the thing was that I figured now, you know, being older and that, if we can get along like that as kids, you know, as adults, it should be, it should be simple. But, but, you know, things get complicated once you reach the age of 18 or 19. Then the, the world swoops in and starts really changing your attitude towards things. Or, or you get the people that were, were born regular, but then they were, this becomes a learned behavior for them. So, hey, you know what I mean. I know, I know exactly what you mean. And, like, now, now that... Now that we're talking about this, I think that it's, it, it's appropriate for, for me to tell the listeners that, you know, Val James is, is a hero to me. Like I said, the man's a pioneer. He's broken barriers. He's done things that no one else has done before. To me, he's a guy that I look up to that has helped me with my hockey, that has helped me in, in certain situations that have been hard in my life. I can think back and think, you know, what did Val have to do in this situation? How much more intense must it have been for Val? If he got through it, I could get through it. And when I got through these things, Val, all I could say to myself is that I really appreciate the guys that came before me. Now, saying that, Valmore James, you are the first black American hockey player to come and play in the National Hockey League. You were the first. Jackie Robinson was the first black American baseball player. 
in baseball. You were the first American hockey player, black hockey player in in hockey. Well, Sean, let me tell you, man. When when someone said that to me, and my name was up there on the same line with with Jackie Robinson, Willie O'Ree, Val James, I was like, wow. I'm I'm with with a couple icons here. And you know what? I'm still I gotta interrupt you, Val. Val, I have to interrupt you. You yeah. are an icon, my friend. You are an icon, and that's one of the things that I really want to express in this episode. Because, like I mentioned to you before, my friend, I don't know if we had, we have hit the recording button or not, but I was talking to you that the Sheriff Podcast. What we really try to do on the show, the number one priority is awareness. Val, it. It's awareness. And, and Val, like, I know this is probably a little bit weird for you because this is just a one-on-one, and I'm saying these things. There's no one else to kind of deflect off of and talk, and it's just me and you, me and you. But Val, listen, the listeners need to know how important this is. I just shared a personal thing in my life of what I did when I went through hard things I would think of how you would handle it and how you got through it, right? I know that people listening to this show, Val, they feel the same way. The, the fact that hockey is such a unique sport in how the demographics have played such a big part in the participation in the game, it is so much different than baseball. It's so much different than basketball, even football, Val. Football's a little bit harder to play than, than baseball and basketball. Baseball and basketball, you simply have to grab a ball. For baseball, it's a glove. For, 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 for soccer, it's nothing. You just got to find some grass and you can play, right? Pretty much. Hockey's completely different. And there's a lot of things that follow from that. And there's a lot of reasons, and demographic reasons mostly, of why this sport is so mainly Caucasian in Canada and the United States, okay? There's, and, 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 well, you are probably the most important part of making this sport inclusive for everybody that makes hockey for everyone, that makes it a sport that's not looked like a, a mostly Caucasian sport, but a sport that anybody can play. It doesn't matter what area you come from, how much pigment's in your skin, or what you believe in. And so I, so I know that I've gone on for a few minutes now, but I feel that it was all necessary to say that I personally, and about half of almost all the listeners that I know are tuning in, that I just want to personally thank you for doing that. Thank you for being you, and thank you for opening up doors for myself and many others after me. Well, you've welcome, and I just want to thank all you guys that came behind me that had the courage to, to keep up with the sport no matter what happened. Okay, that's a very courageous act because if anyone had seen what had happened to me, a lot of people probably would have backed right off. But you know what? You, you have to reach for your goal. You have to succeed. You know, if you're going to put that much time into something, go the distance because you don't want to look at it 20 years from now and go, well, man, if I'd stayed that extra six months, I probably would have had something, you know, and then you're, you're kicking yourself in the ass for the rest of your life. Yeah. I really, I really think that uh, it made me, made me stronger in character 
and I'm sure it has done the same for you. Uh, and especially if you got a lot of good teammates, you know, that are and and let's face it, all our teammates, most of them are white. We're white and still are. And we're now starting to get a little little color into the game. But you know what? As long as you've got a lot of people behind you and and around you, you know, and and they and they be they become your supporters and your family. Well, you're gonna make it. You're gonna be you're gonna be taken care of because I we had guys that it didn't matter who said it, they were right in their in their grill. It was like you know what? Why don't you go over there and say that to his face? Or or they just start beating the heck out of him themselves. Okay, so I had, I had to thank a lot of my teammates for that, and I got to thank a lot of the people that supported me that were fans. And I got to thank all the leagues for giving me the opportunity to actually play because they could have said, well, you know what? I don't know. He just doesn't fit in the league. We might have to, you know, get him out of here somehow. And and the thing was that I was I was given that chance, and it's so far it's it's been expanded upon. Like the NHL now, they have all these programs out for kids that don't have the money to play, and most of the kids that don't have the money to play are kids of color. And you know, there's a lot of black kids, there's a lot of brown kids, not a Asians, and you know, a, there's people from every background now that that's getting getting a shot at the game, and I'm and the, the inclusion pro- process that they they put up, they they really raised the bar. Like when I heard that they they put a million dollars out to buy equipment for kids that can't buy it themselves, that's 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 major. Okay, and and when you and I were playing, there was nothing like that. And for the, the people that don't understand why there's not a lot of blacks that played back then, well, first off, uh, the equipment was this extremely expensive. Ice time was expensive. League fees were expensive. And if you were on a traveling team, you had to pay for hotels. You had to pay for gas. You had to pay for food. And at that point in time, all, all the people of color really didn't have all these super jobs that we have now. Okay, so... It has nothing to do with weak ankles for all those of you who, who keep hanging on to that line. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and and it, you really think about it, any kid that plays who starts playing a game has weak ankles, okay? You build your ankles up over, over a two- to three-week period, and once you get your ankles built up, that's when you can learn how to skate. Until that point, you can't learn how to skate. Yeah, I mean, I mean and that's a great point. I haven't heard too much about that, about the ankle stuff, but that's interesting. Um, I just wanted to add a little bit to what you just said, though, um, because I, I've talked about this topic, I've, I was going to say a few, but, it, but it's many times on, on my show here because this is a big awareness talking point that I always like to stress. So like you just mentioned, you're explaining the reasons of why the demographics of, of hockey are, are mostly Caucasian, but you specifically said why a lot of blacks weren't playing like the game at that time and, and why it's less a little it's better now, but still less now. Now, you mentioned the price of, of the hockey. So we got the registration. We got the equipment. We yep. got the yeah. rentals, the training that you have before you go to your tribes, okay? So that's, that's that. But one of the biggest things also, Val, is the makeup of families, okay? Now, because hockey's so expensive, brother, I mean, in order to play AAA hockey in a, on a travel team, you got to have two parents, right? You yeah. got to have yeah. the two parents. 
that's just a must because if your mom or if your dad's taking you to the arena and then another parent's got to be at home taking care of your brothers and sisters and then, oh, maybe, maybe even a grandparent is helping out. Maybe, maybe this is happening. Maybe that's happening. Well, that's not the case with a lot of families. There's a lot of single-parent families out there. Exactly. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that are minorities or that are people of color or however you want to explain it. Black families, okay? So let's just get real here, especially in the United States. We know that there's an issue with fathers of families, not only because of the personal stuff that happens in the families, but we have the, the, the broken system, which is the legal system in the States. Yep. We got people yep. that are separated from their families, mostly fathers, okay? And that affects certain demographics more than others, okay? So there is many reasons for this, but these programs, which we speak of, the grants from the NHL, the buying of the equipment, the making hockey more accessible, making hockey more affordable, having the NHL work with each city, having a house league program in the city that's available. Like my mother, when I started hockey, Val, I don't even think that it was kind of like, hey, Sean, do you want to play hockey, soccer, baseball, or tennis? It was just the, the, the fall was starting. It was a great idea to have your kids signed up in a team sport and, and, a, and you know, like in a, a competitive sport, and she just signed us up. Because it was there. The arena was five minutes away. She signed us up and we played because we had that option. There's a lot of kids, especially in the United States, that just don't have that option. There's no place for them to sign up where they live. There's no arena close to where they live. Me and you, when you were in the Long, Long Island, your father running that arena, you're able to, to skate, Val. Like I've, I've read stuff that you skated, man, from after dinner till one o'clock in the morning. Is that okay. true? Yeah. yeah. Like I, in the summer after, you know, I went to school in the winter, obviously, and I, I, I go play a little bit of hockey, a little pickup on the weekend. So my, my hockey, my weekend would start, I'd go down to the rink. There'd be a Long Island duck game on which was hockey team. So we put, we watched that game and then it'd be pickup hockey after. So if, if I was lucky enough, I, the guys wouldn't would need another player, so I throw my five bucks in. Yeah, five bucks, and back then, uh, and I'd get on the ice with them. So and and usually it was back to back to back. So I could I could start on the ice when on a hockey game night, probably about eleven o'clock, and skate till three in the morning. And then on a night where there was nothing, I, I I'd be on the ice like seven thirty eight o'clock at night, and I wouldn't get off till one or two in the morning. You know, once the last rental was done, and I was done. And then when there hey. wasn't like that, I'd be out there with a wooden chair skating around with the dog chasing me. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. So, Noval, you're doing this because you love it. You found yeah. a passion, right? Right. Well, I got, into, start- I got into it first, you know, I, I was doing a soccer for my mom, and I had to, my dad was, was a phenomenal football player, and he stopped playing because I was born. So he had to get a real job. You know, back then, they didn't have any contracts or anything like that. But uh, according to the popular buzz, he was probably, they said he was close to being as good as Jim Brown. And I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty good. So I figured I could give him something back, too, since he missed, missed his pro career. I'd go make pro so, that he could, so he could say, well, my son's playing pro, you know. 
and uh, and I was hoping that I'd be able to do it and him be able to actually see me get on the ice in the NHL. But it, uh, as things panned out, it didn't work out like that. But I was able to show him the contract that was signed and all that. So we, we had a, a good laugh and a good cry at the same time. And uh, you know, finally had made it, right? Uh, I can remember because uh, he, he died of cancer. And uh, he was in the hospital when, I, when, I, when the contract came in. And uh, I, I remember going down to the hospital with it and, and, and sitting there. And I, I had it behind my back when I walked in. And I, I looked at him, Henry, because I called him by his first name. I go, man, you're not going to believe this. We made it just like that. We made it. He's like, we made what? And then I whipped the contract out from behind my back and, and showed it to him. And, man, we both kind of went into tears. And, you know, it was one of those happy, joyous tears. They weren't, you know, sad ones. And, and uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it was just one of those times that I really got to connect with him again for one of the last times, because uh, you know, once once they start giving you the treatment, your your, your brain goes. You, you can't recognize people, or you don't remember who they are. And I went through that stage too, where uh, every other day I'd go in and he'd ask me who I am, and I I'd say, well, I'm your firstborn son. Oh, I got a son. I go, you got three sons and and three daughters. Okay, so he was, uh, oh, okay. And, and then, you know, he'd, he'd forget after a couple of days. And he just as long as you kept reminding him. And then it got to a point where he was kind of laid out and not really saying much. You know, and that was that was uh, the beginning of the end when that started happening. I think there was only like maybe two weeks left after that. So it was, uh, it was, no, I'm not talking about that ball. So it was, it was, uh, it was a, a very emotional time and also a very proud time for both of us. And the fact is that uh, he didn't get to see it. He was watching me from heaven, I hope. But uh, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I get a little choked up. I'm all right though. Uh, it was, uh, it was something. So, getting back to what we were talking about, there was a, there's a lot of uh, hurdles for a young black man to try and play hockey in the states. You know, even, uh, even now. You know, sure, there's, there's kids that are getting out there, but I'm sure there's hundreds more that, that would like to try the sport. No one's saying they're going to make it in it, but just to have a little bit of fun to get to, to know what it's like because you see guys flying around on the ice with total control. You're kind of going, man, you guys are on ice, they're on two little thin blades, and they're doing all right. Yes, exactly. Now, there's there's a couple things that, that, I, that I just want to touch up on. Um, first, I want to thank you for sharing, you know, these, these incredible touching stories about your father, brother, like that's, that's incredible. Um, to add to that, Val, um, you know, and I'm glad that you mentioned it because I was going to say it right before you said it. Your father saw you play in, in your first game in the National Hockey League, brother. He was right beside you the whole game, my friend. Yeah. He's your, he, you know, like he is your guardian angel, Val, and he's, he, he was there, man, and he was smiling, and he remembered every second of that game. Well, I, I can guarantee you that. Well, well, I'm sure once I get up there, he'll let me know about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he will. But but adding to that as well, though. Now, your father, I find, is just so important in this story. Yeah. Like I don't know. Like I don't know if if, if you've ever really pressed on that when you do these interviews and talk about this and talk about that, because in my opinion, though, your father with the with the farm, with the work ethic. With with the 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 
the nothing is going to be easy attitude, but if you work hard, not only is it hard, but it's also rewarding. Sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. the hardest things are the most rewarding things. And to a competitor like you and your father, that's really what it's all about. Am I right about that? You're absolutely right. And you know what? I, uh, I can remember the, the hard work ethic came from uh, – preparing for events at the, at the rink. Now, I, I did a concert series at the rink with the, with the guys. You know, we were called a wrecking crew. And what we did was we set up the boards and that for, for concerts and, and anything else that, that needed a, a floor. We also had tractor pulls. We had rodeos. We had circuses. Okay? And I probably saw every top-name rock group and Motown group that, that you can think of. You know, name one. You know, I'll name one for you. Mick Jagger, song. Okay, guess who? Psalm. Um, really? Grateful Dead. Psalm. Crosby, Still, Knox, Nash and Young. Sodom. Uh, Peter Frampton. Psalm. Okay. Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. Psalm. Okay. Come on. Yes. Genesis. Psalm. Jackson. Yeah. Lies. Temptations. Supremes. No um, way. Yeah, man. <laughs> you know, Psalm all. In person, live, didn't pay a dime because I helped set up so I could just stay and watch, right? Man, the wrecking crew is very valuable, huh? Yeah, well, you know what? And our age, our age group went from, from my age, 13, to about 18, 19, and that was it. We didn't have any, anybody that was older. Well, we had a couple of guys that were pushing 20, but that was the oldest, right? So it was, it was kids putting things together that people – Today, kind of go, well, are you sure about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm positive, folks. I'm positive. It was, it was just kids. And my, my dad was the ringleader, and he was the one that, that taught us everything, how to, how to work without getting hurt and all that kind of stuff. So, and even, even when you were hurt, you did work, right? You know, it's like when we play hockey, you know, you play hurt, you know? Yeah. And, and I got to say, like, the way it was was like, let's say we had a game. The game would end at 11 o'clock at night. We'd have to have everything set up and ready to go by noon, 11.30 noon the next day. So we worked right through the night. And there were, there were times where we had a little, some complications and we just barely made it. It was, uh, was $100,000 an hour to go overtime back then. So I don't know what it's like now. Okay, so. And what was the name of the arena at that time, though? So, uh. The Nassau Coliseum adapted the name, and as you you know, you can see it in their circle at, at Center Ice. It says Long Island Arena in there. And every time okay. I see it, I go, "You guys, you guys stole our name, really." <laughs> so, 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 okay, so, so Long Island Arena. It was called the Long Island Arena in Comac, New York. Okay, in Comac, New York. So, so I just want to remind the listeners that this was the arena that your father ran. Now, what was his title at the arena? Was he the arena manager, or uh, he was? Uh, Maybe, well, let me see, uh, he would be uh, in charge of uh, events. Okay, so, so events coordinator or something along those lines. Yeah, and, uh, you know, not only was he responsible to make sure that everybody had what they wanted, he was also responsible to make sure that everything got put together on time. So of once course. it got put together, then he had to go out and talk with the guys about, okay, when are you going to need this power here? And, and, well, okay, we got the 600 volts over here, we got the, 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 the uh the 60 here, we got the hundreds over here, so uh, where are you guys plugging in? And then I can remember them uh, taking those super trooper, which are, are big, bright spotlights, and, man, they get hot. 
then they pulled those right up to the catwalks. So we had catwalks in the arena. And uh, I can remember going up there one night, and it was in the middle of the winter, and I got like 10 feet away, and it was like I was outside in the summer. It had to be 110 degrees over there by this light. They call them super troopers, right? And yeah. Man, they were hot. But I can remember uh, seeing Peter Frampton there and and wrestling, anything you think that you can think of. Uh, I got a good story about the Peter Frampton thing. We we'd set up the, the we had set up Peter Frampton. Contract was going. I had to run around a little bit, so I missed the uh, the warm up acts. I, I could hear him, but I didn't see him. Okay, so now they need an extra security guy. You know, so I'm going, all right, I'll stand in. So yeah. yeah, I go out there and they stick me right in front of the stage. You know, right by the big speaker. You know, you don't stand in front of it because it'll blow you away, right? So we were standing behind it, and it was still loud. Yeah. And so I'm standing next to this guy. Uh, he had to be about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, probably a good 250, and uh, just kind of grooving to the music. And then all of a sudden, I keep seeing these things flying over. And I'm going, what the hell is all of that? And I'm watching, and, and it's like probably every three seconds, something's flying at, at the stage. And I'm, I'm thinking of throwing stuff at him. I finally got a look at what they were throwing. It was the girls throwing their underwear at him. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Yeah, man. That was uh, it. Was quite a thing. And then, like, like I said, once we were able to actually learn how to manage time like that, that goes a long ways when you go to start playing sports too, because you realize you only got a limited amount of time to show or produce or impress somebody. So you better make the best of it. Yes, and that, and you know what. I hope everyone was paying real good attention to that line because that's a line that is good to remind yourself your whole life. That's right. 100%. And I, now, Kyle, this next uh, – sorry, go ahead, brother. Oh, I, I was going to say that – and for everyone that's listening out there that, that are trying to do things, if you have played sports and you know how hard it is to, say, learn how to throw a ball or learn how to skate or learn how to, to run right, uh, it's a lot of hard work. And remember, all the time – and all the effort that you put into doing that, if you put into your everyday job, you will succeed. There's no way you can fail. Awesome, buddy. I, I appreciate it. I hope the listeners appreciate those lines. Now, I got a couple things to do with this, this time right now, Val. One of them, you might get a little bit mad at me. So just try to take a couple deep breaths. Now, I, doing my research, I, I don't know if I read it or if it was in a video. But I heard you mention that because your father ran the arena, that they had kind of stuck you into an all-star game that you just really yeah. weren't ready for yet. Oh, <laughs> ready. Can you explain that a little bit, Val, without getting mad at me? Okay. No, I'm not mad at you. But it, okay. what an embarrassing time that was. I can remember I had just finally learned how to, to actually stand up on my skates and take a few strides and glide. Okay, and most of the gliding was done leaning on the stick. Okay, so so I wasn't exactly your your great hockey player. Okay, so now game starts and I get thrown out in the ice and okay, so I, you know I could I, I knew how to get back and lock into my position on the wing, so I did that and then the play broke out and everybody took off. Man, they were like I was just getting to the red line. They were shooting on the net already. Okay? <laughs> I finally get over the blue line and. And the play's going back the other way. So I make this big tractor-trailer turn to, 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 to get back into the play. By the time I get turned around and just cross the blue line again, they're coming back at me, going back into the zone. 
So now I got to make this big wide turn to try and get back into the flag. And it was just, it was just a mess, right? So yeah. after I swore that night that I, I would never let that happen to me again, ever. And that's when I, I really got, got serious, you know. And in eight months, I won the most improved player in a, an entire organization. And that was the same time that we, uh, we had our, our uh, Met League, it was called, which would be equivalent to Junior C up here at that time. And we used to play teams from Brooklyn, from New Jersey. Uh, actually, I played against both Mullins. Okay, really? They were in our league. Yeah, they were in our league. Wow. They came in our league. Remember Nick okay. came out of our league. Um, Jim Pavese, he came out of our league. Okay, okay. a few guys that, out of that league that did go that did go to the to the show. You know the Mullen brothers. You know they went and stayed and, and broke all kinds of records. And you know, he always had that shot. I didn't think I, I knew anyone that could shoot that hard until I played against Mike Bossy when I was in Quebec. And then he 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 took a shot and I didn't know who he was. Right, I was new. I stood in front of it. It broke my shin pad. It, wow. it hit in the middle of my shin, and it, it collapsed the whole shin pad, like blew a piece out of it. I was like, damn, man, I'm never again. So I can remember going back out in the ice. I don't, I don't know if Mike remembers this, but I look at him. I go, damn it, Mike, next time you decide to wind up, let me get out of the way. Do not shoot until I'm out of the way. <laughs> so <laughs> I started laughing. But, yeah, I did block another one. Okay. <laughs> Oh, of course you did. That was all. Um, oh, my God, right? Go ahead. Oh, no, no. I, I, was, just, I was just waiting for you to finish, but just so you know, Val, like, I'm very entertained with your stories. Oh, yeah. So don't, don't mind me if I'm just looking very comfortable because I'm, I'm just in the zone listening to these amazing stories. Now, the last thing I well, I mean, it might not be the last thing, but another thing that I wanted to bring up about that amazing arena and you and your dad stay being involved with it was I need you to talk a little bit about the, the infamous brawl outside of that okay. arena that your father and I believe you were involved. Yeah, well, yeah. let me see. I, I, I just gotten back from, uh, from, uh, from Ramparts, it was, Major A. And every, every, every year that I, I came back from hockey, I'd work at the arena for the summer. And then I, I'd go back and do hockey again. So come home, and I, I just happened to have parking lot duty, taking, taking the money and handing out tickets, which, which was kind of boring but easy, right? So car pulls up. I kind of lean my head out the window. I see it's from North Carolina, and I'm like, oh, man, hopefully this doesn't escalate into anything crazy. Oh, wait a minute. Do you want the parking lot brawl or do you want the ice brawl? <laughs> That's right. Uh, anyway, I'll tell you, too. So uh, so now I, I give the guy his, his, his ticket, and we were instructed to tell them, okay, if you need a proper receipt, you can get it at the box office in the front. So I, I, I do my spiel, and uh, I'm kind of standing there and, all of a sudden, little beanpole guy leans out of the car and goes, "Oh, we want the receipt from you, N bomb." And I'm like, "What?" I'm, I'm thinking to myself, "No, he didn't just say that." So he said it again. So I, I went through the spiel like professional. You know, you, you know, you take your ticket to the front office, and when you get there, they will issue you a proper receipt that you can use for tax purposes. Okay, so he said it again. So. I went through the spiel one more time, 
And then at the end of that spiel, I looked at him and I go, so, if you want to say that again, get out of the car. Okay. This little guy gets out of the car. Man, he wasn't any bigger than a freaking broom pole. I mean, I'm looking at this guy going, really? A mouth like that and you're that skinny? Well, then all of a sudden, well, maybe he's Bruce Lee or something, right? That's, that's who went through my mind. So it didn't really matter. So now the kid comes around. He takes a swing at me, which he misses, okay? And I drop him. One shot. Okay, so now his father comes sliding across the hood of the, the car like the Starsky and Hutch. I don't know if you've ever seen that show. Yeah. Okay, they slide across the hood. He did one of those, and I, I tagged him before his feet even hit the ground. Okay, so now he goes down and rolls away a little bit, and then the brother gets out of the back. It was one of those big uh, Ford uh, station wagons, Galaxy 500s. You know, so, so now he gets out, and, and I thought he was John Travolta. The way he was he had on the, the big uh, Paisley shirt with the, the collar thrown up, the bell-bottom pants with the, the groovy shoes on. So, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and the white belt, and I'm like, damn, man, that, what a change <laughs> from redneck to disco, really. So... I was like, damn, all right. So now he comes running over, and I go, yeah, and I, I just look at him. And go, I know, you got you, you to gotta do it for the honor of your family, right? He goes, yeah, but I really don't want to do this, he says. I go, so, so stand, and I'll punch you in the face, and it looked like you're okay. It looked like you were in the, in the brawl. So he goes, okay. So I, I, oops, I dropped him, okay? So he gets up. He kind of crawls away to the car, never to, be, never to come back again. So now the little skinny guy that I knocked down in the first place, He's, he's recovered now, and I see him going in the back of the car. You know, so he opens up the big, you know, those big tailgate uh -oh. station wagon. Yeah. So he swings that big-ass thing open, and he comes out with a tow chain. Not just a regular tow chain. A I tow see chain. a tow chain. A tow chain that you tow a tractor trailer with. No way. Did have you those on? He could barely lift the thing, let alone swing it. Okay, so now... I'm, I'm standing there. I'm probably about 10, 15 feet away from the guy. So he's trying to swing. I could have ran up and hit him like 40 times, right? But I, I go, I, so I'm, I'm looking at him. I'm going, so are you going to get ready or what? So I let him swing it. So I let him get it swinging. So I duck under it and drop it. The chain falls on his chest. He can't get up. The, the chain's too heavy. So now I'm figuring, okay, it's all right. Then all of a sudden security guard shows up. And he's got uh, uh, he's got a sidearm on. So he comes running over, and the first thing he starts yelling is, I want to pull my gun, I want to pull my gun. And I'm saying, don't pull your gun. I go, we're only having fun out here. I go, so don't pull your gun. You know, I, I, mean, I was an experienced brawler, so <laughs> it, was, it was fun. Yeah. Okay. So, now, so now he goes to pull the gun out for real. And I just happened to be like five, six feet away from him. So I ran over, stuffed it back down in the holster and said, if you pull the gun, I'm going to drop you too. I go, so if you want to participate in this, take your sidearm, go hide it somewhere so nobody can get a hold of it, and then come on back. So in the meantime, my dad rolls up, okay? He'd heard there was commotion going on at the, at the, at the gate. So he'd come out, and, and right away, Disco Boy decides he's going to jump in from behind. So I, it's like, so I run over. And I go, I thought you said you weren't getting involved anymore, that that, that was it. So then all of a sudden, I just, I just cocked, and I, I threw one right, right by my, my dad's face because his head was, like, right by his head in the back. I tagged him, knocked him out almost, right? And I, and I said to him, now you get your ass in the car and don't come back. 
I go, because the next time I'm going to make sure to break something. Okay, so he, he left, never to be heard from again. Now, his dad runs at me like a football player and tries to knock me down that way, right? So he's running at me, hits me in, in the, like uh, just below my chest. So I threw my legs back in the air and threw my body weight forward on his back and landed right on his face, right? So we had a little bit of road rash going on. So now, now, I'm, now I'm pissed off. It was fun for a while. Now I'm pissed off. Okay, so I grabbed him. I grabbed by his belt, grabbed by the back of his shirt. I must have bounced his head off the booth about 30 times. I mean, it was like I was throwing potatoes, and I was just ramming, him, ramming his head into the booth until I, until I got tired of doing it. And then I, I, he went down. He was still, still game. So I started feeding him with the left, and I started feeding him with the right. Then I started go, alternating hands on his face, right? And, 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 and the guy's rolling around. So finally, I, I, I look at him. I go, you had enough? I go, because if you get up the next time, I'm, I'm going to knock you out. I'm not going to play around with you anymore. This is just playtime. So, you, oh, oh, I've had enough. I've had enough. So now he gets in his car. He goes up. He, uh, <laughs> he reports me. So, <laughs> so now. I come in, the cops come, and they're all uh, up, up in the, the lobby right now. And since my dad was there, was there, he's trying to explain it all. So he explains it to him. So I come walking in with my, my money and my, my tickets, and all of a sudden the guy turns, that's the end over there, he says. All of a sudden I'm just kind of like, the, my dad's hand shot out so fast, and just, and down he went, like, like crumpled to his knees a little bit. So the, the, the cop picked him up. And the guy's going, did you see that? And the guys, the two cops look at you, didn't see anything. What are you talking about? And I was like, wow. I was, I was impressed at that. Okay. That could so, change. Yeah, that, that was a real change. Jeez. So I was like, uh, okay. I just knew I was going to jail that night. So they let it all drop because of all the racial slurring and swearing that was going on and that, had been, that we had been humiliated enough at that point in time. So that night ended and everything was okay. My dad said, I don't know what you did out there, but you got to be nuts. And do you believe that I had two six-foot-three, 190-pound guys standing right next to me, and they didn't do a damn thing except hide in the booth? Oh, the guys that were working with you? The guys that were working with me. So I'm fighting five guys, and they're, they're enjoying the show. And then after it's all, hey, man, oh, my God, I couldn't believe how much you were kicking those guys' ass. I'm like, well, where the hell were you? I could have used some help, you know. No, I never had help. Right. But see, that's the thing, Val. Like, I mean, I mean, that's that's a good example of a situation that's not even to do with sports, but in life. Exactly. When it really comes, when it really comes down to it, there's 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 those of us that can step up, that can defend, that can you know battle on behalf of the better good, and that's then right. there's those that just kind of. Go and hide and aren't showing yeah. up. Yeah, it was uh, it was kind of disheartening to see two big guys like that who had been bragging to me about how good they were in football and that to see them yeah. just stand. These come out and grab somebody. Don't have to punch anybody, you know. That's unnecessary. That's unnecessary. Just hold on to somebody so they can't punch anybody. And yeah, I got this. Okay, that that was on the streets, and I that was my my second brawl on the street that I've ever had, and I've only had two. Okay, so uh, we were. I I got. Can I tell you another story? You can tell me as many as you like, my friend. Okay, I'm playing e EHL. I'm playing for the Erie Blades, and we're playing Johnstown. So now the Johnstown Chiefs. 
the John, Johnstown Chiefs. They've been changed to Johnstown Jets at that time when we played. Okay. Right? So, uh, so now we get in the rink, and I'm looking at this rink, and I'd I seen Slapshot, right? So I'm going, man, this is where they film Slapshot. I'm yeah. looking around. Oh, my God, what a dump, right? <laughs> so, it, it, you know, it, they had the chicken wire still, and, and they had those, those, uh, those uh, 1843 seats in the stands. Okay, so, you know, it's so we're, I'm just like, wow, talk about a time warp. So now we get playing, and all of a sudden, all this, these things are flying. We're wondering, what the hell? What is this? All of a sudden, it bounced off the back of our helmet. We look down. It's one of the, the, the nuts off the seats. You know how they, they took the bolts apart on the, on the, the part that you sit on? They must yeah. have brought a box with them, right? So now they start throwing this stuff. Brawl breaks out on the ice. Okay, I was involved. It was uh, actually, I was fighting a guy, and I was beating him pretty bad, so they damaged the benches on us, right? And I wasn't I wasn't being malicious or anything. I was, you know, he, he deserved the ass whipping he got anyways because he, he said the N-word, right? So it was like I had to beat some, some sense into him, which I did, and he never came near me after that for the rest of the season. Okay, and he was he was the number one guy for for the for the league at that time. So uh, there was another guy on the team who was a lot tougher than him, and I don't know how he didn't be he, how he was the number one. So Paul breaks out, we're fighting, and one of our guys goes down, and all, I guess someone was sneaking up behind me with a hockey stick about to do the, the uh, kabong on me, right? So the really? trainer runs out, yeah. So the trainer runs out and tackles the guy, Mike Karen. I got to send out a big old thank you to him. Um, so now one of our guys gets punched and he gets hurt. You know how you you know how you kind of get knocked out a little bit, but you're not really out. So he's kind of trying to drag him out so nobody will step on him. But he had these sweatpants on. You know, remember the old type sweatpants with the little drawstring and the, the yeah. cotton ones. He's got those on, and 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 when he bends down, half his cracks out. So well, I'm fighting the guy, and we kind of look over and see that we both start laughing, right? So, <laughs> We're kind of going, oh, my God, really? Really? Mike, Mike, where's your underwear? Okay, so it gets better. So now Mike gets the guy up, and, he, and he's kind of holding there. One of their players skates by behind him, and he yanks his sweatsuit down. He's not going to drop. Okay? So, well, so now we're just dying, right? We can't believe it. So I get thrown out, and I'm thinking, okay, I didn't really start. I didn't do anything to get thrown out, but since I was uh, in in the brawl, they did, they figured they'd get rid of me right away because uh, I, I, they figured I was the instigator, some which I wasn't. Okay, so now we getting um, we got to go through this crazy crowd. You know, everyone's and and it was back then they could stand right. You know, where they had that little uh, that rubber mat they roll out. Like that tunnel, the tunnel thing. No, no tunnel. This was like walking right out into the hallway of the rink, and oh. the mat the ice and went up the hallway, up the middle of the hallway, and you're out like this. You're walking by the concession stands and, and shit like that and stuff like oh, that, right? right? I'm telling okay. you. Okay. Yeah. So, now, so now we get in the locker room and uh, I don't know what they, what happened on the ice, but something else happened, so another one of our guys got thrown out. So uh, on his way to the, to the locker room, someone called him a word, uh, a name, and then they said, and that, that end that's in the locker room, too, and he clubbed the guy, right? So, so now the, the whole, the, whoever was there, all the people who were standing in that hallway started chasing him. So he ran into the locker room, and 
we got them in and we, we, we closed the door. They tried to get in for a little bit, but then they stopped, right? So we're figuring, okay, that's all right. So all of a sudden, one of the guys, one of the, the assistant trainer kids comes running. He goes, the cops are here. They want, they want to get Paul. So now we're all panicked. We don't know what to do. So we look at him and go. So we're looking around the locker room. We go into the shower and we look up and he got one of those access to the, to, to the attic there, right? So we take the sticks and we slide it to the side and two of us give him a hand. And actually, Paul Pacific was helping me. So uh, we boost him up in there and tell him to, to slide the lid back over. So then we run back out in the locker room and sit down like we're just relaxing. So the cops knock on the door. That actually banged on the door. We thought they were going to kick it in the way they were banging. So we go, just a second. We'll come over and unlock the door. We hit the lock the door. We thought the fans were going to come in and try to kill us. Okay, so we had our excuse. So now they come in. They go, we're looking for so-and-so, number 18. We'll go on, number 18. Uh, oh, you mean Paul? Yeah, that's who we're looking for. They didn't know. So now... We said, we don't know. We, we don't know where he is. We thought he was still out in the ice. <laughs> okay. So, so now, and these, these guys were, were not small guys. Okay, we're, we're talking six, five, 300 pounds each, right? Cops? They, they were state troopers. Okay. Big boys. With the hat. Yeah. They had, they had the bear hat on, man. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. They were and big boys, man. I mean, like uh, I, I was in my hockey equipment. I thought I was pretty big, but man, these guys are bigger than me. So now they come in and they're looking around, but they don't see him. Now his skates and are over there, and they're going, "Well, is that his equipment?" I go, "Oh man, yeah, that does look like it. I wonder where he went." You know, we're, you know, we're trying to play it off like nothing's happening. So now they search the whole locker room. They go, they get back to the shower area. The one cop comes in, he looks around. He goes, uh, no, he's not in here. But his partner comes in, and he was the, the thorough guy. He He's looking around. He looks up. He sees that, that door, and Paul hadn't slid over now. So when they painted, you know how you, one part isn't painted? That part was, was showing like maybe a quarter inch, but from the floor it only looked like oh. So he looks up at it. And, and and then his partner starts talking. So he looks back at him, and they start talking together. And then they, and the partner goes, well, he's not in here, so he must he must have ran out there somewhere. So the guy gives it one last look before he leaves, and they they screw off out the door, right? So <laughs> there. So it's still not over because they're still they're looking for him until we get on the bus and leave. Okay, so now we're we're trying to figure out how we're going to get him out of there. Fight's still going on. People are screaming. Doors locked, so nobody can come back in. So we go, Paul, get get a shower. I go and. We're going to stuff you in the goalie bag. So, you know how big they were back then, right? Yeah. The pads and everything. So uh, so we stuff them. We put, we put some equipment around them so it ain't too bumpy for them. And then we stuff them in there and zip it up. So but now, they're stunk in there, though. Oh, I, hey, it was either that or go to jail, right? <laughs> <laughs> so... So now we, we grab it. We grab the bag. And, I, I, oh, man, it was... It, I thought it was... <laughs> After after we got him onto the bus, because two, it took two of us to carry the bag out there, and I'm surprised nobody got wise. They don't figure, oh, well, how come it looks so heavy? Well, it's goalie equipment. It's always heavy. You know, it's been out there all night. It got soaked. It's just heavy. So we slide him under with the equipment, and we still have, we still don't leave for another half hour, right? So he's he's in his underwear, under the bus, <laughs> in, a, in, in a hockey bag. 
So <laughs> we, we, we leave town, the cops are right on us. Like, they stay with us until we leave the city limits. Okay, so we drive for another three or four minutes just to make sure nobody's followed us. Then he pulls up, we go out and pull Paul out and bring him up and put him in the bus. But that was one of the, that was one of the times of one of those brawls that was just nuts, right? Uh, and that was Eastern Hockabee. So there, that happened pretty much a lot. Of, you know, they had a lot of, lot, lot of scary people playing in that league. You know, they just didn't care. And the crowd you know, was just egged up. Yeah? So, Noval, the, the Eastern Hockey League, would that be the equivalent to the ECHL right now? Yes, that's the exact same league. So there was the American Hockey League that had St. Catharines, Rochester, Newmarket, and then the EC the ECL is the Johnstown and the team that you're playing for, so on and so forth. That, but that came probably about five years before I I got to um, to Rochester or okay. even to Toronto, right? Yes, yes, of course. It was four or five years, and then I, I did another two years uh, in three years for for Toronto, and I was I I got called up a couple of times, but that was only to be a, that was only to be a bruiser, right? So it was uh, it was satisfying, but sort of not, you know. No, I was happy to see that. But uh, I wish I had. I, 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 you know what? I, I'd ask for help. I asked to make the National Hockey League. I should have asked to stay in the National Hockey League. Okay. Yeah. So, and well, thank. Yeah. You did well, my friend. You did very, very well. Like just like at the end of the season when the owner comes in. This is the team that won the championship. You did well, boys. You did well. Meanwhile, he's got a billion dollars of profit in his pocket. Yeah, did. Trust me, you did well, Val. Well, but now, well, Val, you, you, I heard you just mention, you know, that they you know, called up just to throw down and stuff. And, you know, like, what a lot of the listeners already know, because a lot of our listeners are hockey people, right? And, like, a lot of the guys – because I'm a former player, I, I got a lot of former players playing that I've known over, uh, listening that I've known over the years. Now everybody knows Val that anybody that even has an opportunity to get called up, that's even being considered for the NHL team to call them up. Because trust me, people need to know there's multiple meetings before they actually make that call up, right? Yeah. There's votes and everything with all the executives. The general manager has the last say. Now, you were a phenomenal hockey player, my friend. You are a very, very good hockey player. Well, I'm looking at your numbers right now. Numbers speak volumes, okay? So I'm, now I wanted to speak a little bit about Quebec City because um, that's another thing that we have in common, my friend. Um, I lived in Quebec City for a few years. But I see that you, then I see that you lived in Quebec City for a few years playing the Rampart. I told you it was brothers. <laughs> Shoot. So you played in Quebec too? For the Rampart? I didn't play it. I didn't play in Quebec. What I did was I lived there and I played for there's two different teams that I played for in Quebec in that senior league, which is now a perfect which is now a semi pro league called the LNAH, the League the right. North America Hockey. Okay? Now in that league, there used to be a team in Quebec called the Quebec Radio X the team that Donald Brashear played for during the lockout season in, in 2005. Um, there's a couple NHL guys that have come back that are from that area that have played in the league that I'm speaking of. But I, I played for St. Hyacinth, St. Hyacinth, 
and I also played for the Marquis de Jonquière. So I lived in Saguenay, which is two hours north of Quebec City, through that through Le Parc. I don't know if you've ever been up to Saguenay, where Chicoutini, um, Jonquière, and don't forget Trois-Rivières, it's uh, on that strip too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trois-Rivières, right between Quebec City and Montreal. It, it, I always knew I was halfway to Montreal once I hit Trois-Rivières. But now, right. now, I lived in Quebec City when I played for Jean Care because we only played the two games on the weekend. So we didn't really have any team practices during the week. It was like up to us to stay in shape. We were, the, we were the biggest, most high-profile team in that league, which was very strange that we didn't practice. But we had our two games. We all got paid very well, and we, and we loved what we did, right? And I got to live in Quebec City. Now, I know that Quebec City is a lot different now than it was in the 1975-76 season and 1976-77 season. <laughs> Don't say it too loud. People know how old I am. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Hey man, look, if, 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 like I'm, I'm really gonna push to get this episode on our YouTube channel. I know right now we're only an audio podcast, but we do have the YouTube channel, the Sheriff Podcast, and I'm really gonna push to get this on there, Val, because I'll tell you what, man, with you on the screen, it just makes the show look better, feel better, and play better. You know those three things. Look, my feel good, play good. Good. My camera's not looking at me too good, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, right. But but your time in Quebec though, Val. Like I'm looking at your stats here. I mean, dude, you had you had 33 points one year. You had 32 points the other year. You were very very consistent. Almost had 20 goals both seasons. Yeah. Okay. And the thing is, Val, is that a lot of guys that play major junior, like myself, if they have a good first year. Sometimes that sophomore season is a little bit of a jinx. You know what I yeah. mean? You had a good first year, and you had a very good second year, which shows that the consistency was there and that you were, and you were thriving through that system. Now, do you remember a lot about that time with the Ramparts? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, oh, sometimes too much. Um, during that time, Sean, I was uh, I was still learning, so every year to me, my motto was, okay, this year I'm going to make my worst game the best game that I had last year, and that's how I I, I advanced through all the the, uh, the the levels of the sport. Always, okay, you if you what you know what your best game was the year before. You try and and bring your abilities up so that you're running full time like that, and then the, then the next year you do the same thing. And then you just keep practicing so that, you, so that you can make it come true. So that's why I was so consistent because I was, I was focused on making sure that I, at my, uh, my, be, my worst game this year would be my best game last year. And it, it worked out for me, you know, because if, you, if, you, if you're working towards a goal like that, well, you're going you're gonna to improve. You, you know, there's, there's just no two ways about it. And I also watched a lot of – watched how guys skated because I, I wasn't I wasn't that great at skating at that point. Uh, I could I could get I could get by and all that. You know I was okay, but I, I wanted to be like a, a Rocket Richard or or or, or, or Gilles Perrault, You know because or even I you know I even I admired the way that Bobby Orr skated. You know it was effortless. These guys you know they did go up and down the ice, and 
you know, if you were to time them, they could go to the other end and back in about six seconds, probably less. That's and pretty impressive. That that's flying, okay. Yeah. And I, I I wanted I wanted to get get to that point, and I finally did get to that point. But I was already 26, 27 years old, okay. So, you know, I was already on the hill going down the other way, and I ended up uh, I got hurt. Uh, I could have I could have been rehabilitated and come back. It was it was a shoulder knot, but uh, so but at that time I had I'd already been called up to the apple a few times, and I knew that uh, I wasn't going to get another shot, and that was that was the whole reason for playing. You know I I loved the game and all that, but the league that I was in was was kind of like uh, pirate league, right? Everybody was nuts. They they were they were sailing their ships around trying to to, to board people, right? So. I figured rather than, than than keep going like this and either having to hurt someone or or getting really seriously hurt myself, I, I'd get out of it and get into the real the real life, and that's what I did. Okay, I met my wife uh, when we were in Newmarket. I actually I met her in St. Catharines. It was at at the Grape and Wine, and I I saw this girl walking around. She had on that the Gold World's uh, Gem Mirror Image shirt, you know the gorilla one. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So she was wearing that. It was the gray one. And looking hot as hell. And I was with a friend. I we, we just broke camp with Toronto, so uh, we we drank our faces off the night before. So I was hungover like crazy that day. So we go out, and uh, I don't have any sunglasses. So we're looking for a drugstore so I could buy a pair of the, the, the five ninety nine ones, right, just to get something yeah. over my. <laughs> so we 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 do that, and uh, the guy I'm with, Glenn. Glenn Baronick, there's a shout out to you. Okay, he's so we're looking and and every time we passed her, I tried to say hello to her, but she wouldn't say anything to me, right? Nothing, just straight ahead look like a zombie. And I'm thinking, man, I, I don't know what I did, but I I can't get her attention. Glenn's laughing at me. So finally, he's but, but this is probably about maybe the fourth or fifth time we went by and I said hello and and, and didn't get a peep, right? So I turned to Glenn, he's busting my balls again about it, right? So I said, look. You see that girl? He goes, what, the one that won't talk to you? I go, yeah, that one. I go, I'm going to marry her, just like that. And he starts laughing. I, I go, oh, I go, why don't we make this interesting? Five bucks. Says, says I marry her. So we made the bet. Little did I know that I, was, that I was going to meet her, and I didn't even know it was her when I met her. Okay, so I met her um, probably a year later. Like, we played that year. I didn't really see it. And we played the next year. And then she, she was working with the handicapped children from Barnesdale. That's between here and, and, and Toronto, right? Yeah. So um, she had a group at the game. And, you know, they were sitting down. You know, but they sit in the corner there by the, by the glass. Oh, yeah. Just, and I'd go by and kind of wave to them, tap on the glass, get their attention, wave to them, right? You know, make, make, give them the real experience. So, uh, uh <laughs> So now our game ends, and we're playing Sherbrooke. I'll never forget this night. Here's here's a, here's one. I told this story before. Sorry, sorry, folks. I don't want to bore you, but I'm telling it again. <laughs> I love it. They love it. Okay, so so now we're playing Sherbrooke, and we're playing in Garden City, which is like four strides, and you're and you're at the other end of the rink, right? So now, <laughs> Bro, Brophy puts it out in the ice with their fourth line who were big, tough guys, right? And I was out with Kevin McGuire, Chris McCray. 
You know those names. I do. I yes. sure do. Yes, you do. Okay, so puck drops. We've got a five-man brawl going. Okay. I got this big Frenchman, man. He was like thick as a brick, strong as an ox, and but but uh, a little slow on the draw. So <laughs> that's that. So I so I beat him, and so now I'm fighting, and I'm looking to my right because Chris is fighting to my right, and and Kevin's fighting over by the net or or opposite like that, right? All of a sudden, I see I see Kevin go down, and it wasn't from a punch. The guy kind of jumped at him and trying to to uh, hug him, right? And he kind of knocked him over, and he broke his ankle. Okay, so now we're down in one guy there. Chris is fighting this guy. He punches the guy so hard he breaks his hand. So two guys out in the brawl. Brophy's losing his mind. Okay, I I, I beat my guy. I, I kind of get out of it a couple of you know you always get hit a couple of times. You know I only got a couple of hits, so I was okay. So now, Brophy hated Sherbert so bad because they were Montreal farm team. And uh, he, I guess, I don't know what happened between him and Montreal, but I guess something hot happened. So he hated them with a passion. So now, they went ahead, I think it was 2-1, to one, and then we come back and made it 3-2. to two. Then they tied it up, and then we went ahead, but they called the goal back because they said it was a two-line pass, which it wasn't, because right? we, we looked at all the tape after, because they yeah. called two goals back on us that, like that that night. And both we're on sides. So we end up losing a game, to, to make a long story short. Brof lost, lost it, man. He just lost it. Screaming, yelling, walking around the locker room, pointing at guys. He comes up, what did you do tonight? You didn't do rep all. What did you do tonight? You didn't do rep all. Now, what the hell did you do tonight? Uh, I won my fight, bro. Oh, F you. And then he goes on to the next game. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting next to, uh, Steve, to Steve Shutt, right? And, and we're both trying not to, to laugh, right? But it's so funny. It's comical the way that he was losing it. So he finally gets through with that. And uh, so now he starts talking about how we should have beat these guys. And there's no way that this team's better than us. And now now he, he, he gets pissed off again and starts going for it. So now he, he, he goes into a tantrum. He goes over. He rips the uh, the, the blackboard off, you know, the, the playboard. Oh, yeah. Rips and he starts banging it off his head. And he's like, if these guys are effing better than us, I'll suck a so-and-so on Main Street at high noon. And we're all like, what? Did he just say that? Go, yeah, he said it. You know what he said. Yeah, he said that. High noon. He said it. Okay, so so we're we're trying not to laugh. I'm, I'm pinching Steve. He's pinching me. And, and the arm said we won't laugh, right? So we figured the pain would do it, but it didn't. It didn't help. <laughs> okay, so so now we're kind of snickering. Bro stops and turns around, looks at us. We get the stone face on, right? So then he he goes on, and so then finally the end of his spiel, he goes, "Okay, Gunner, get the practice sweaters out." So he he got he got rid of West Jarvis. He got rid of uh, uh there was a couple other guys that they, they got a, got a buy on that one, right? So uh, so now. All we did was like a, a regular skate, you know. You know how you, you go out and you, when you have your heavy skate, you're more or less working on your edge work and all that kind of crap. That's what it's supposed to be about, anyways. Uh, in case and all you guys, all you hockey players out there, when you have the big skate and you, because you lost the game, you're supposed to be working on your stride and and you're breaking out of the corners on that edge. That's what you're working on. It's not that it's a hard skate. 
It's a skate to make you work a little bit and think about what you've been doing. That's great. Sorry, I did it again. So, so now we get back out in the ice, and we're doing this, and 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 so we we skated for about an hour. So we so now it was during the time when it was a Sunday night, and the bars closed at uh, twelve or eleven or something like that. But we weren't going to make it. There was no way we were going to make it. So we, we we handed forty bucks each to a couple of guys that we knew were going there, and told them to uh, you know fill us up. We'll be along, but just fill us up, and we're going to need it because our bro's going to kill us, right? So, uh, so now I get down there, and I'm, I'm, I'm pissed off at the fact that, that we lost the game and also that we had to skate after losing. Okay, so, yeah. I'm, I'm putting, so now I had, a, I had a, a tray of beer, and, and, and for you youngsters out there, don't drink too much. It's, it's not a good thing. Um, yeah. yeah, so now I, I down a couple. I don't feel anything. Down a couple more, don't feel anything. Down a couple more, don't feel a thing. Feel straight as an arrow. My adrenaline was that high. So now, Ina comes over, hot little number. I was like, wow, who's this? Damn, they're coming coming to me. They're coming right at me. She's coming over here. I was all excited, right, in my head. So so now, she she introduced herself and introduced myself. And she goes, I know I I saw you playing in that. So, uh. I had, to, I, had to, I had to confess to her right then. I go, look, I go, I really want to talk to you pretty bad, but right now is not a good time because I'm in a pretty shitty mood. You know, after what just happened tonight, I go, I would not be good company. Can I take a rain check? Okay, and we can maybe go out at another time? And she said, sure. So that was cool. So I sat there and, and downed what I had and, and didn't feel a thing. And I, I must have drank a 12-pack and, and probably two hours and didn't feel a thing. I was just like, wow, this is crazy. So, uh, like, uh, that grape and wine thing had happened a year previous to this. Okay, I didn't recognize her. If she had to, had the sweatshirt on, I would recognize her, right? But didn't recognize her, didn't go out with her for a while, and then, uh, then we started going out as just friends. No strings attached, nothing like that. Okay, just friends. We'd go out and drink a little bit have a couple of cocktails, maybe have some supper, you know, no strings attached. So uh, we became friends before we became lovers, I guess you could say. And uh, it, was, it was a good time. Like uh, we dated for two years. We got to know each other before we, we decided to tie the knot. And that was, uh, uh-oh, if I get this wrong, I'm in trouble. <laughs> that was the best time of your life. Yes, it was. The whole 34 years. <laughs> Woo! Uh, so... So from there, like I said, we ended up uh, we got married in Long Island, and that it was uh, it was nice. It was only a small wedding. We didn't we didn't really have a, a huge wedding. Didn't want one, right? Because I, I can't. I, I kind of look at it when I see all these weddings that people have where they're spending seventy, eighty thousand dollars. It's like, damn man, you could have spent twenty thousand and put sixty in your pocket and had a beautiful down payment for your house. That's right. Yes, that's right. Now. What's the proper pronunciation? Is it is it Ina or Ina? Ina. Ina? Ina, yeah. Like Fina, Ina. Ina. Okay, I, perfect. It's, no. it's, you can rock. Is that? Yeah. Nope. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> yeah, you got it. <laughs> so, yeah, about, go ahead. 
I've had I've had the opportunity to, to, to speak to your better half a few times. Um, and I can just tell right off the hop, man, you guys are such a good pair. Like you guys you guys are awesome, man. And and I see that you guys feed off each other too, which is incredible. Well, you gotta have it that way if you're gonna stay together. You know, a lot of lot of lot of people today they get married, oh, I don't like you, I'm gonna divorce you. And you know once you got married, it's like a job. You gotta work at it. It's not gonna be roses all the time. Okay. So you have to you have to you have to you have to work at it. And you know, and, and it's like playing the sport. You don't give up. Okay, you, you you make it work. That's what you do. You know, and it's, and usually if people have been uh, disagreements, well, I have to say probably uh, um, a lot of them are small things. No, you get the ones where people are cheating on each other. That's that's a that's a whole new ball game, right? So of course, but you know, you're just mad at a guy because he combs his hair wrong or he chews gum stupid. You know, it's like, what are you thinking? You know, it's like you, you gotta you gotta you gotta use your, your smarts a little bit. No, exactly, and and I and, and it's very inspiring, like like to see you guys as a couple now, getting along so well, just being each other's better halves, just like just like the old saying goes, man, right? Well, you know what it is with marriage. Your 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 other half is always your best friend. They're supposed That's to right. be. You know, you've got a best friend outside of your your relationship, but that is your best friend. Yeah, and and that's how you should try to to, to play it, right? Doctor Phil? No, Doctor Val. Yeah. Well, and, and but Val, the reason why I'm I'm kind of embracing this talking point is just because I find that the better half is important for a hockey player, like for that support system, yeah. for that you know, like like I always found that my mother and my girlfriend or significant other at the time when I was playing, they were my main trainer. They're the ones that helped me get back from injury. They're the ones that helped me mentally when I was down and I had a big game or my hand was sore and I knew I had a big fight the next night and what am I going to do? I'm going to have to use my all lefts and you can do it, honey. You can do it. Just just focus. Believe in yourself. You know, like there are counselors. There, there, there are lovers. There, there are guidance. There are guidance. There are coaches. They're everything to us, right? And I just believe that when you have a strong, better half, you're the best player that, that, that you can potentially be. I don't know if you, if you agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that because, you know what, after you're with someone for a while in whatever sport, you know, in our sport, the case happens to be hockey, but you need that, that support in every sport, professional sport. And, and it, you know, it's in football, basketball, soccer, you know, unless, unless the guys are single and they got a few, right? But, but the, guys <laughs> the, the guys that are serious, you know, you got one. And, and you know you t- they take care of you, and they, they they're the ones that 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 watch your game, and they they can tell whether you're improving or not. You know they be, they may be completely stupid to the sport, but after about thirty games, they're gonna know what's going on. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. And like and what I find out is that a lot of girls that meet hockey players, the first thing they kind of say right off the hop is, you know, I, I don't I don't know a lot about hockey. I hope that's okay. And and when I would hear something like that. It wouldn't bother me at all. I'd actually be happy to hear that because yeah. that's kind of like you guys have your own thing. We had our own thing. She learned about hockey because of me. She's learning about hockey because she's interested in me. It's not that she was like a hockey girl her whole life and, and, and now she just sees me and wants me to be a part of that. So I, I thought it was actually even a little bit better 
like girls that I met that weren't familiar with the sport. Well, it is better because now you're looking at a lot of girls that are into the sport. They have their favorite players, and they pretty much know what they want to do with their favorite players. Okay? So you, you want to have someone who has no idea who you are. Maybe they showed up at the game and saw you on the ice, but they still didn't know what you were doing. Okay? So you, you kind of – it's easier that way. And, and, and like you said, now the relationship can blossom from there. Oh, yeah, 100%. So now, Val, I want to take it just a, just a couple years back from, from the time that we're talking about right now. Okay. I want to take it back to the year that I was born, 1982, my friend. Oh, come on, really? In 1982, I was, I'm January 19th, 1982, okay? I was born in Vancouver, British Columbia. My family moved to Toronto when I was six, but I was in Van City. Vancouver in 1982, 1983. Now, West, at the same... I'm sorry, go ahead, Val. A West Coast boy. Just, to, just when I was six years old, then I was a Toronto boy, Scarborough. Scarborough. Yeah, yeah, I was born West Coast. I'll always be attracted to water. I love the mountains, but same I'm a Toronto. Here. Same here. Because you're know, <laughs> surrounded by water, right? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And we'll get into that, too. Now, Val James... That same season, right. that, that same year that I was born, you were playing for my Rochester Americans. Yes. Yes, you I, definitely were. Oh, you definitely true. were. Man, now I feel old. No, no, I'm okay. hey, listen, man, I just want to point that out, that the year that I was born, you were playing in Roch. You were playing in Rochester, New York, when that city was not only thriving, but it was one of the best places, I believe, to live in the country. Now, yeah. upstate New York, western New York, we're talking Rochester, we're talking Buffalo, we're even going as far east as Syracuse and Albany for, 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 for that sake. At this time, people need to know that that region was a thriving area. That region was, was Kodak rich, Xerox rich. They had a hold of everything. Uh, they, they, they probably employed three-quarters of the people in Rochester, and their complex was amazing. I, like, That's we got the visit. speak of, right? Right. The Kodak yeah. facility was amazing. It's still there. I don't, yeah. I don't know what they're using it for, but, uh, man, it, they, had, they had an Olympic track. They had an Olympic swimming pool. They had, they had state-of-the-art uh, workout machines. You know, the, remember the, the, the good bikes that came out in, during that time? They had oh, all yeah. of those. So uh, I can remember us touring it and, and getting it to, to work out with the equipment. You know, it only didn't last that long, but, yeah, we got a little shot at it. And I was, I was kind of envious. Man, man, these guys work for Kodak. And look at the stuff they get to play with. Man, it was, it was one of the most powerful companies in the world. And yeah. it was based in Rochester, New York. Kodak Photography, man. Man, what a powerhouse that was. Embraced the city of Rochester employed the city of Rochester, like you said, a huge yeah. percentage of people that could work were there. Right. It, it was what now, sorry? Seventy five percent or something, uh, I think, of the population had something to do with Kodak. Yeah. And then I would say Xerox was probably another ten percent. Like like it, it was it, it, yeah, it, like it was incredible Val. But the point I'm trying to make 
is just the fact that 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 area of the country was so thriving, and that was the place to be. Balmore James was the heavyweight of the team, the professional hockey team in Rochester, New York, the vibrant city of Rochester, New York. Now, at that time, Val, I mean, when I lived in Rochester, pretty much the makeup of the area was the downtown area when I was there in the early 2000s was kind of like wasn't in its best days. A lot of talk about rebuilding the downtown, a lot of um, building um, ideas and construction things were happening at that time to revive the city. The suburbs in Greece, um, in Henrietta, Brighton, um, even East Henrietta, all these guys, I'm forgetting a couple places, but the suburbs were very vibrant and, and, and very rich at per se compared to the still city. Are. Sorry, go ahead, Bill. They still are. Down yeah. a couple of years ago, these, those areas, the outskirts areas are still thriving. Uh, the city is starting to, to make a comeback. Uh, of course, they still, they've still had the homeless problem at the depth. It just escalated from the time that you were there. But uh, they're trying to, to make it work. They're trying to get everybody involved, and, and, ho and hopefully it works out. But, you know, unless people decide that they want it to work out, it won't work out. Yes. And now, yeah, go ahead. Now, I know that now when you were there, the downtown core was thriving as well, correct? Oh, yeah. It was, yeah. It was uh, pretty much state-of-the-art at that time because it was all brand new. Yes. So now, that, 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 so those are really the glory days in Rochester, the second oldest team in the AHL. But would you agree with that? Yes, I agree with that. And, you know, Don Cherry was there, too, for a while. Don That's Cherry crazy. was there, too. And, 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 Val, you know what? This is a big recording for me today. This week, sorry, I just, I just bumped my mic there because I'm so excited about what I'm about to say. This week is so exciting because not only am I recording with you today, but, but the Sheriff Podcast is releasing Sheriff's Corner featuring special guest Don Cherry tomorrow. Oh, right? no kidding. Yeah, we're releasing, we're releasing it tomorrow. It's going to be episode 21. We're releasing it tomorrow. Now, now I don't know if, I don't know if you're aware, but Mr. Don Cherry is, is quite the fan of you, my friend. Did you know that? He's a big fan of you. I didn't know that. Man, you know how much he appreciates tough guys, right, Val? Yeah, yeah you, gotta, you You can imagine how much he must love you. Val, like, okay, okay now that we're just talking about toughness, let's, let's put greats aside just for one second. Okay. This okay. is a question I have for you. I know you're a modest guy, Val. I know, I know you're modest. You're very humble. When you were playing for the Remparts, right. was every player, just be honest, were you feared? You must have been feared. At yeah, that level. You were feared at that level. Well, Sean, let me tell you how that came about. Okay. Oh, yeah. uh, Sault Ste. Marie drafted me after I had already had a, had a spot in Quebec. I, I had did my tryout at Christmas time, but that's in the book, I think. Uh, so I arrived uh, the, the day of, they, they were going to Cornwall. Okay, so um, I, get, I, get a, I come in um, with the car. Not my car, but uh, I had a guy pick me up. They had a guy pick me up at the airport. And we're pulling to the parking lot, 
and there's a bus sitting there. And I'm thinking, man, I hope that in my mind, I hope that's not for us or for the team, then I got to get on it. So um, I'm kind of playing it by ear. I had my, you know, back then you could carry your skates and your sticks on the plane. So I take, I took all that on the plane with me because I, you know, I didn't know if my luggage was going to get lost because it was a big yeah. habit of blue luggage back then. Oh, yeah. So, so now we get, I get out of the car. Uh, Kevin, was Kevin Lowe there? I think Kevin Lowe was there. Was he there the first year? No, maybe it was the second year. Anyways, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling. Uh, so I get out of the and uh, the trainer comes up to me, and in broken English, he says, well, uh, wouldn't take you inside and try some equipment on you, you know, get you all set up. So I'm thinking, yeah, okay, that's all right. Um, never for a second did I think I was getting on that bus. Okay, now, I had, I had just flown home the night before from, from Toronto, and I had gotten on a plane at, at, for the red eye flight to fly to, to Quebec the next morning. So I didn't get home. I didn't get home that night, the night before, until eight o'clock. So I was up at like three, so we could be on the road by about four thirty-five o'clock. Because you know, you had to, I had to go all the way to JFK, which was uh, about a forty-five minute ride from where I was. So I get on. I get it. Like I get off. I'm already jet lagged, car lagged, every kind of lag you can think of. And <laughs> uh, and now. They they put me in some hockey equipment and said, "Oh yeah, we're going to Cornwall." I go, "What? You mean I got to oh, get on the bus some more?" I was like, "Oh shoot!" Only I I was a little more animate. Use the yeah. some words. Okay, yeah. so so now, so what did I do? I got on the bus, went to sleep. Okay, so now we get we get to just outside of Cornwall. Bus stops, right? Guys are waking me up. I'm thinking, what's what's going on? They're kicking us off the bus so we could walk to the rink and wake up, right? It was about a half-mile walk. Not too far. You knew you could see the rink. It wasn't that far. So uh, we, we walk in and get dressed and go out in the ice, and I come out in the ice, and everything stops. All Everyone got quiet and stuff, and it, they, that was when they were playing in that old rink that they had a chain-link bench. You could barely see the puck. It was so dark. Timmy Bernhardt was playing on that team. Okay. So uh, now we we start the game and and I and I'm I'm hitting you know like all of like like I said uh, a couple of the guys that went to Midland with me were were in on this team too so so now Chris and I are we're crunching you know like that's our game you know we go in the corners we crunch we we dig the puck out and then we try to score you know you know and if you're if you got the puck and we're coming out we're hitting you you know we're not gonna snow blind you we're gonna hit you so. That's what we're doing. We're finishing our checks, and I'm running guys. I'm not running guys, but I'm I'm taking them out hard. You know, I, I I'm trying to make a team. All right, that's that's all there is to it. So I already, I had already made the team, but I, I had to do a good showing to stay with the team, right? So now, dude, dude, dude comes up to me and he's looking at me and he says to me, "Well, you're kind of enjoying yourself out here, aren't you?" I go, "Well, I go, yeah, I guess uh, you could say I'm kind of having a good time." He goes, yeah, you're just hitting everything that moves. I go, well, you know, you got the puck, you're going to get hit. He goes, well, that all stops now. That's what he says to me, right? I look at him, I go, what? He goes, that all stops now. You will not hit anybody else, he says to me. I said, well, just like that long pause, I go, I hope you pack the lunch because it's going to be an all-day job. Just like that to him, right? So he lost it. <laughs> he lost. 
he got so mad. <laughs> and I'm looking at this guy, and he's it, like he's if he turned red, he was so mad. And he just happened to have a twin brother that was sitting on the bench. Guy was six two, about 195 pounds. Okay, so he told me how bad he was going to kick my ass when the puck dropped. I went okay. Now that's when that that's when the lunch thing came in, right? So yeah. then he dropped the gloves, cut him for eight, cut him for six, separated his shoulder, almost knocked him out. Okay, I don't know who this guy is. You know, don't talk shit to me if I don't know you. And even if I do know you, you're still going to get a licking. Okay, so now, now the the guys the guys on the bench before this happened, they were yelling. That I, well, let me let me back this up a little. This happened like in the second period. So between the first and the second period, all the guys on my team are telling me to stop hitting. That that they're going to get killed because I'm hitting guys. And I just looked at him and said, No, you're not. I go, you don't have to worry about it. I go, because if anybody's going to be doing the killing around, it's going to be me. You know, I was being cocky, obviously. So, yeah. uh, the so big now, brother. that's right. So now the fight happens, and I, and I destroy this guy. Okay. They, they were in such shock that, you know, usually you play, your teammates are jumping up and down and screaming. The only guy that was jumping up and down and screaming was Chris and the coach. Okay. Ron Reset. I don't know if you remember that name. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, so Ron, Ron, Ron was a really good guy. He was really good to me, and, and like uh, he gave me that tryout at Christmas time when I came home from Midland, and because I, I needed ice, you know, we were off for a week. So I, my dad asked me if I could play, if I could practice with the pro team, and he said, yeah, he can practice with us. But I, I just want to tell you, we're not going to take responsibility if he gets hurt. My dad just looked at him, <laughs> just looked at him like, yeah, okay. So I come out, and I'm as big as these guys on the ice. Okay, I'm throwing these guys around, uh, and I, I was kind of shocked myself. So now my last day was Friday because I started on a Monday. Um, they had a game that night, so he had the uh, the pregame talk with them on the ice, you know, like normal. And then, you know, he starts calling guys that he wants to see in his office. So I'm, I'm about to skate away, and he's going, Val, I want to see you in my office. And I'm thinking, what the hell? What did I do? Did I hurt somebody? So – I showered up, I go to the office, and he goes, uh, you look pretty good out there. He goes, actually, I, I was kind of shocked that, that, that you were throwing my guys around the way you were. He goes, uh, oh, by the way, he goes, I'm going to be coaching the Quebec Ramparts next year. You just made my team. Just like that. I went, really? He goes, yep. He goes, you're on my team. You've made my team for the Quebec Ramparts. And he goes, that was your tryout this whole week. I went, great. Perfect. So now, you know how easy it is to go back to a team after a layoff when you know you got somewhere to go, when you're thriving to go to Major A? Uh, all, all I had to do now was just, just go out there and give, give her my all, right? So I did, and I was, I was still considered I could score goals. I was just a, a, a rough, tough, and tumble winger, right? So I go back, and this is my last year because I was 19 turning 20, but I couldn't play the last my last year juniors because you couldn't play when you were 21. They, they since changed that rule. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So rule they had back then. Yeah. Well, my, my, my birthday was at the end of the year, so it really didn't matter. You know, it was close to March, right? So, you know, February, March, season's over. What, March? Back then it was March 12th, March 15th. The season was over. Okay, you were in the yeah. playoffs then. Now it's June or May sometimes, right? Uh, so 
Last game of the year, we're playing Collingwood. Yeah, I remember the team, too, the one that, that stamped me. And we're playing, and I'm, I'm, I'm roughing up in front of the net, trying to get position because the guy's winding up. Guy cross-checks me. I turn around and cross-check him back and then get back in position, and he drops the gloves. Okay? So I grab him, and I clean his clock. I mean clean it. Everyone's kind of shocked. I later find out that this was the toughest guy in the league. Okay? Destroyed him. So that's when I got stamped, the enforcer. Okay, and then and then going to juniors and playing in Quebec, and we were talking earlier, you said how to, where I was feared. Yeah, my first game there, like I said, I got on the bus, I fought the, the toughest guy in the league, kicked his ass, and then we went to Shawinigan, which had the next toughest guy. And this guy, we used to call him thick as a brick. This guy was like 5'10", probably 220 pounds, 225, a junior. Yeah. I mean, I, I ran into him at center ice, man. I thought my chest was going to break, but I didn't show it, right? So so now I, I, he, he run, comes at me again. This time I'm ready for him, and I put him on his keister. So now he gets up, gloves off, all pissed off. I break his jaw, okay? I, I, I didn't mean to. But in the fight, I hooked him and, and broke his jaw, and that was it. Okay, so now this is okay. I beaten I beaten number one. I just broke number two's jaw. So now they're kind of going, well, all right. So now we go back home, and this is still exhibition, and we we play Laval, and they've got the third toughest guy. Yeah. Okay. So now. The, the, the word had gotten around already that quick, and it was only like maybe a, a week span, right? Because, you know, you're, and when you're playing exhibition, it's usually they give you a couple of days in between and just keep you going to see how you, how, if you can, if your endurance is, is good enough so that you can be consistent. That's what that's all about, for those of you that are listening. And <laughs> so, um, so now we have the brawl breaks out with them. And I, for some reason, this guy come right after me. I guess he wanted to prove something, right? So we start fighting. Pretty good scrapper, too. So we scrap from the blue line back into the corner behind the net, then back into the corner again behind the net, back into the corner. And at this point, we got no upper equipment on, okay? It's all gone. So And he's throwing pretty good. You know, I, I'm impressed with it. I'm like, damn, man, this guy's all right. And now i got to just make sure I don't get hit. So now we go. We get into the corner, and, and it gets to the point where we go, where we're exchanging, right? He's not really hitting me that hard because I know how to move my head so that even if you do hit me, it's going to skid off. It won't be too bad, right? So yep. now I go. I look at him. I go. I'm tired of your crap. I'm only I use the S word. I, I threw three hard ones at his head. Connected. I heard him. He tried to turtle. I grabbed him by the, his suspenders and, and his long underwear and started giving him uppercuts, okay? And I, I was connecting on most of them, and I must have threw probably 10, 12. So I, 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 I without a word of lie, probably connected six or seven of those, easy, right? So then he decides he's going to try to block it with his arm. I broke his arm, okay? He put his arm in the way, and I broke his arm. So at that, and I was mad, right, when I, when I fought. And, and, and I made a promise to myself at that point in time, I was, what, 19 years old, 18 years old, 
that I would never fight mad again. Okay, because, uh, you know, I, I was mad when I fought the other guy. I was mad when I fought number two, and I was mad when I fought number three. And, and they all ended up casualties, right? So I said, <laughs> no, I'll, never, I'll never do that again like that, okay? So, so and then at that point, you know, you know what happened then. You, you know, that was one, two, and three in a matter of two weeks, and all of a sudden, there it is. He's, a, he's an enforcer. That's what he's going to be. So, so, now, so now you – I went on, like I said, and had a couple of good seasons. You know, I was hoping that I, I would get on a, on a team and, and, and have a, you know, I wasn't expecting to play on the first line, you know, but the third line would have been okay. But then, uh, you know what, I, I, and at that point, I really didn't care. I just wanted to play on the team. You know, if you wanted to play me on the, on the net, I would have played, you know, just, just to be. But you just wanted to be part of the team, though, right, Val? Like, that was what was a big thing for you. That was the big thing, just to be part of the team and show that I could contribute and that I was willing to, to go the extra mile if my teammates needed me to. That's right. You made your mark in Major Junior as the toughest guy around, okay? Val. You made your mark as the toughest guy around. I've read, I've done my research, buddy. I know how modest you are. I know how humble you are. And I appreciate it so much. And I'm sure the listeners are like, man, this guy is really humble, right? But you were the toughest guy around, okay? Now, you make the next step. <laughs> that is another story. Okay, so, so now we're, we're, I'm still at the ramparts. And we get to play Memorial Cup. This year it was held in Montreal. You know, New West played, and they had the likes of uh, Harold Snaps, Harold Philip, Philip, Philip off, Barry Beck, uh, and uh, Mike, Mike, uh, the coach for uh, Toronto, the other, the other one. Mike, Mike Milbury was on that team. Also, uh, the one that did the coach Toronto for the few years that had to cut the big condo in that. Uh, you know who I'm talking about. Maybe the glass fell out of their out of their place. Out of you know, it wasn't oh. his place. But the building. The guy, the, the coach of the Red Wings and the coach of Toronto. Right. You got the guy of Toronto. Yeah. Babcock. Yeah, that's it. Thanks, Babcock. Mike Babcock. Yeah. Right. Thank you. And he no was problem. on that team. Okay. So, uh, so now we're playing, and they've got this little sea soccer that kept calling me the N word. Okay. The whole game, I just wanted to, to find this guy. I wanted to grind him. I, I, if I got my hands on him, I probably would have ripped him apart. So now, our, we're, we were second biggest team in all of hockey. They were the first biggest team in all of hockey. All of hockey. We're talking professional, everything. Okay, okay. So, so now, I get out in the ice with him. He does it one more time. And then I chase him. He goes and jumps on the bench and jumps in between Harold Philiboff and Barry Beck. Uh, two two redwood trees, right? And I'm yeah. I'm kind of, I'm kind of going. You know what? I don't care. You know I want this guy, and I'll go through anybody to get him. So I looked at both of them. And I go, you know what? I go, I don't want you two guys. I go, I want that guy in between. But if you guys get in my way, I'm gonna go through you to get him. And they kind of gave it one of these. They're, they kind of looked away, right? Coach is down at the other end of the bench. He's kind of listening, but half listening, right? So I, I, I made a grab for him. You know, if I'd done that today, I'd be I'd be suspended forever. 
and he kind of leaned back and so I couldn't grab him. And and the guys kind of just put their sticks together, you know, to make it look like they were doing something, right? So uh, it ended. And then I got drafted by Detroit. And guess who was at the Detroit camp? Yes, sir. Same kid? That same kid. And, and because of him, I got kicked out of camp almost. I saw him, and I couldn't believe it was him. I was like, really? I can't believe he's here. So, and I didn't get on the ice with him until the third day. So the third day, we got on the ice and went by, and he, he recognized me right off the bat. He knew who I was. Well, of course okay. he did. So. Yeah. So now uh, we line up, and he kind of goes by, and he's going to try some of that sneaky shit again like he was doing in the, in the, in the Memorial Cup game, and I caught him in the act. Okay, so we dropped the gloves, and I was tuning him, right, like really tuning him. To the point where he wouldn't go down, and he, at least he had some nuts. He wouldn't go down or try to turtle him. He tried to fight his way through it, right? But I yeah. wouldn't let. I w- and so uh, finally, he did get into the turtle position because he didn't have much of a choice, and I, I didn't stop. And so I could hear somebody. You know how you you just kind of lose it. I lost, uh, and everything kind of went into slow motion, and all the sounds were very faint. It felt like I was standing in, in a, a hole or a tunnel or something even though they were right next to me. I hear someone say, stop fighting, stop. But I couldn't hear it. So then someone kicked my skates out, and I seen a blade go right by my fingers, which kind of pissed me off, right, because it could have cut my fingers off. Yeah. And I jumped up, and I jumped up with the who the fuck kicked my, oops, who the F kicked my skates out, and uh, it was the head coach. <laughs> so you know where that went. So yeah. make a long story short, I ended up, not being on any on any of the uh, the scrimmages that they were looking at the guys for the Red Wings, I was on the on the scrimmages for the secondary team and the third team, uh, which I I did make. Okay, so that I lost I lost the whole year, and what I did that year was I played for the the uh, the Dixie Beehives senior team out of Toronto, Etobicoke. You must have dominated there, buddy. That hey. was no, but Come you know on. what? I, I was, on, pretty, I was going pretty. I think I only had one fight, but I I cleaned the guy's clock. No, I'm and talking about. Yeah. Oh I'm yeah. Playing wise. Oh, I was dangling pretty good, believe it or yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I and mean, everyone's like, "Wow, it was Mississauga." I was living in Etobicoke. Very nice. Yeah. So, uh, so it was it was a, it was a good league. Like, uh, and it ended like I think it was end of February or something. And like really early, because you know senior teams only play about forty games or something at that time. So, uh, so I, I, I kind of that was the year that I would have been my last year juniors. But since I was, they, they, I couldn't play because of the overage law. That's where, I, that's what I had to do. I ended up going out to Sioux City, Iowa, and um, I played for the uh, in the U.S. League. Yeah, and I, I met a couple of really good players out there, and. Good skaters, really good hockey players, but they like to drink too much. So, you know, and back then, once that got around, you really didn't go too many places, right? So, uh, but they taught me a lot, okay? I, especially Jim Peck. I, I don't know. He was uh, he's another American kid that had made it, and there wasn't too many of us at that time. There's a few more now, a lot more now, actually. But uh, back then, it was, he was he was a defenseman. I I. I had, I had cut my teeth in, on defense and got moved to forward, so mm-hmm. I, I I knew the position right. 
So uh, I ended up playing a little bit of defense with a little bit of forward. Uh, we did okay there. That league ended like in uh, December, something like that. So I had, so I ended up. That's why how I ended up in Mississauga, because I I, I called my dad and said, look, uh, I only got like maybe three games left here, which equates to about four to five weeks. Okay, because you know, in that in those leagues, you only play once a week or or no times yeah. a week, and then right. Yeah. So. So uh, I had about four, four to five weeks left before I had to had to, to get out of there. So I said, uh, "See, see what you can see, see if anything's shaking anywhere where I can just walk right in at this point." So that was the only thing that was up for grabs was uh, was the um, the senior team, and that was that was got to another guy who was Canadian who knew about the team up here and who was living in Long Island. So I I, I drove from there, and that was that was the snowstorm of '77. Yeah. Okay. So that, believe it or not, the day that I left Sioux City, Iowa, that storm was just starting. Or it was already in full blown on the highway, but it wasn't up that that far north yet. Because it, it it took about 45 minutes to drive down and hit. At at that point where you hit the highway, it's 80, then it turns into 90. What were you driving, though? I was driving a luxury Le Mans. A luxury Le Mans. We had a 400 Pontiac with a with a with a, a Holly on it with a Posi rear dual exhaust. So it was oh, a three. So that's right. That's right. <laughs> I the corner. Bets would pull up next to me and be revving motor, and I'd give them the yeah, let's go, and then I just take off like a shot, right? And then they they pull up to the next light and look at you like, what the hell you got in that thing? I'm like, just Holy a Pontiac corner with a four barrel Posi rear turbo hydromatic transmission. Is that enough? So, so, so I, I looked there, and I'm heading towards the highway, and I could see the sky looked really crappy, right? Like, uh, like really bad weather. So now I'm driving along. It was, it, you know, it was in the fall, so this leaves and stuff blowing around. All of a sudden, I see money go by the window. Like, I don't know. If it didn't, well, hopefully it was a ten dollar bill, but it was nonetheless it was cash. So I pull over, I jump out of the car, I collect like 200 bucks, and all of a, and then there's a guy across the street who pulled over and he was doing the same thing because he saw it too. So we're both running up and down. He's on that side, I'm on this side. I'm scraping up anything I can on this side, and he's doing that side. So we, we, we get the money. I find the wallet. I put it in the mailbox because there was a mailbox there. And uh, we, we look at each other. We start laughing. And, and we go on our ways, right? So now I get down to the highway, and it is brutal. I mean, the ice on the highway itself is like four inches thick because you could see where the pieces came out from the trucks. And it was just the whole road was ice. There was no, no, no tar, no concrete, no nothing, just ice. And I was, I'm driving along, and I remember I was doing like, I was, it was hard to do 30 miles an hour. It was so bad. Yeah. And, Every time a truck would go by you, it would oh. blow you almost the road, and you'd, and you'd get stuck in that, that, that crappy stuff on the side and have to bring it back and, and thank God that you, that you didn't do a slide and go into the ditch, right? Yeah. So I did, I did that. I, only, I, I went 10 miles in about, I don't know, a couple of hours it took, right? It was so bad because, you know, you, don't, you, you can't sustain 30. You, you know, you go up to 30, and you got to creep back down because it gets bad. The wind's blowing, and the ice was so slick on the highway. That when the wind blew, it would all, it would start pushing the car off the road. So I I, I get 
I get up the road a couple hours, I see a truck stop in there. You know, I'm white knuckling it up to that point. So, well, maybe not white knuckling, but yeah. But so, uh, so now uh, I pull into the, into the truck stop, and, and I'm 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 like, now what kind of adventure am I going to have here? So I go in and I'm, I grab a coffee. It's it's already like it's late. It's 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 wee hours of the morning because I I left at like three o'clock that afternoon. I wasn't expecting that, right? Yeah. I, I, well, I didn't hear it on the radio, but I did. Uh, so I go into the truck stop, order a coffee, and okay, I'm good because I you know I usually when I travel I'll make my own sandwiches and, and keep them in, in the lunchbox in the car, right? So that way I don't spend too much money. So you know, when you're in the miners and actually you do all these little frugal things that 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 save you money, so you can spend your money on other things. So now, the girl that was behind the counter offers me the cot in the back room. Okay, and it's like uh, I, I kind of look around like this. A lot of good old boys in there, so I kind of said, "Well, thank you, but no." Uh, I'm gonna go back in all of a sudden. You come back and disappear for a little bit and come out there and all of a sudden people start thinking things and the next thing you know you got a crowd in there with you, right? So I uh, had a couple of coffees sitting there and I grabbed one and went back out to the car. I'd, I'd rather sit in the car than, than get in trouble in there. So the weather broke. The road was still shitty. I drove I drove to the border and I, was, I wasn't up on the, the speed limit up here. You guys were kilometers. We were yeah. miles an hour. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I get, I, get, I get over the border. I get, I get on the 401 West, headed towards Toronto. QEW? Or yeah. from Detroit or from Buffalo? From Detroit. 401. Okay, so 401, yes. 401, yes. Okay, so now I'm traveling. I'm doing 60. Well, you thought you were doing 100, right? But you were doing 160. This gets better. This gets better. I'm doing 60 miles an hour. Oh, sorry, sorry. I'm doing 60 miles an hour. And uh, I see the sign flash by and said 100. I'm thinking, nah, really? You know, and I I, I couldn't see the K, right? Because, you know, there was no. (laughs) So now I'm going, shit, man, this is crazy. They, They let you drive 100 miles an hour up here? Oh, that's nuts, right? Let me try it out. So I, I get up to 100, and, and um, my tires weren't balanced, so everything's starting to, to jitter a little bit, right? So I go, nah, it, it can't be. So I back up to about 85, and it, everything calms down. So I'm riding along, and I finally said, no, this can't be right. So I'm looking down, and finally I see it, KPH, MPH, on the speed on the speed on. I go, oh, I'm doing <laughs> and I, I had been I had been driving like that for about forty five minutes, right? You know, I yeah. go up to hundred, back down eighty five, go back up, and then I finally realized I don't know how why I was so dumb, but I I was. <laughs> so now, hey man, a lot of people make that mistake, especially Americans coming from south of the border. Yeah, because there's never there's never a time that you guys are talking about kilometers and stuff. You know what I mean? It's all about miles and pounds, and you guys have your system, right? And that's what makes America unique, right, is that they're the only country that is stuck to that. So, yeah, man, trust me, I was engaged to an American girl. I lived in the States for, for six-plus seasons, 
I know exactly what you're saying. Sometimes I would almost forget when I was in rocks the whole year and I'd come back up and I'd be like, oh, you know what I mean? Because you're so used to looking at the one needle, right? But yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Val, that, that, thank you for sharing that. I, I really appreciate that. I can't even, so what was, okay, so, so you never got pulled over though on that trip. No, no, I don't. And, and when I slowed down, maybe 10 minutes later, I saw this OPP car and I didn't know what an OPP car was. I just, once I saw the cherries, I figured it was a policeman, right? Yeah. Because uh, we didn't, we don't have OPP. We got state troopers. Exactly. Okay, yeah. so that's different. But even the OPP guys, they're big guys too, man, most of them. They're all giants too. They yeah. They're even bigger. Yeah, like there are state troopers, right? The OPP, Ontario Provincial Police. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so now this, this that's, a, that's a very interesting time that, that I feel in your career. But Val, 24 years old, you're 24 years old, it's November 1st, 1981. Yes. Now, this was the game that you made history, okay, for the Buffalo Sabres, storied franchise. We were both, we're both alumni. I don't think it could have been a more fitting team to do that for the first American player, right? Yeah. Black hockey player to enter the NHL. Um, man, you you broke the barriers, and I find that Val like, I mean, like Willie O'Ree did so much for the sport, right? It was a few years before you, a few times, times whatever amount. Yeah. But the U.S. is a different story than Canada, my friend, which you are fully fully aware of, but oh. you've experienced your entire life. It was uh, actually uh, I probably the first time I ever heard uh, I experienced racism. I was about nine, and it wasn't it wasn't against me. It was it was against uh, the older men that were that I was with. Okay, and they no one had even seen me yet. I was still like in the car, and and all of this was was going down outside the car. So I remember asking my dad what that word was. Okay, and he was like, uh, hmm, how do I explain this? And I go, just just tell me what it is. Explain it any way you can. I'll understand. You know, you, I was kind of alert, right? So he goes, there's a word that you don't want to be called ever in your life. And this is, and he's explained how many people, no, he didn't know how, exactly how many, but he, he said a lot of people lost their lives over it. A lot of people lost limbs over it. A lot of people were totally abused and while we were being abused, this word was being shouted at him. He goes, so it's it's not a very nice word. He goes, and and he goes, so that's that's all I can tell you now. But you will probably have to experience it in your lifetime. So at least you're a little bit prepared. But who knew? <laughs> yeah, who knew? You know, it's like uh, I give everyone uh, a little thing about. Uh, if they want to do the math, because I didn't do it because I really not interested in how many times it is, but every three seconds, 40 games a year, 10 years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I want to talk about that a little bit. I want, I want the listeners to know, Val, because I didn't experience 
the same that you did. Reasons being was because you did, because other people did. Then it became more normal to see people with pigment in the sport. Then it became a little bit more accepted, as weird as that is to say about humans yeah. treating each other. Then it became kind of a cool thing. There was the time where we saw Anson Carter, American-born Mike Greer, yeah. and George LaRock on the same team for a National Hockey League team. And that was almost 20 years ago, right? So yeah, then it came to that point where, yeah, man, this is pretty cool. We're seeing brothers play. Starts opening up a couple more doors. Parents start, you know, parents that are of biracial or black families start getting their kids involved because they're seeing these guys on TV, Val. Yeah. You were the first American black hockey player, Val. Yeah. You were the one that went through all of this for us, brother. Which means that you are the one that is the most resilient of us all. Well, now <laughs> I'm telling you, brother. Now I'm telling you, brother. I don't think there's anybody that got more slack than you, brother. You're American. It's different up here in Canada. I know what Willie went through. Willie, Willie's a legend. Willie's a pioneer. Willie is incredibly important to the sport. I'll always look up to Willie. You and Willie have different paths, being from two different countries. Exactly. And I believe, I know that you, your story, Val, it really needs to be told more. You need to be embraced more. And I'm talking about by the nation, brother. I'm talking about by Canada and the States. Well, I'm, you know, I agree with that, but uh, I want to be embraced the fact that maybe we can we can make a difference. You yeah. know, that we can 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 stop a lot of this stuff and and make people see eye to eye. And you can't make anybody do anything; you can only hope. Okay, now, and and in order to do that, you must understand each other's cultures. And and, and until you can understand the cultures, we're still going to go through this because it's going to be kicking people off all. You know, why are they getting off to go pray at this time of day when I can't get off? You know, things like that, you know, or, or why, why are they being celebrated when, when my, my race isn't getting a, a month, right? I, I've heard that so many times that I, I can't, can't, can't think how many times I've heard it. Yes, yes. Okay, so. Or even as simple as BET, right, Val? Yeah. Not getting the same as television, right? Exactly. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. You were you were still a youngster. That's right. When that came out, there was a little bit of hoopla over it that uh, there was a, a black station on white TV, you know. So, but but uh, they fared well. And then the the the, uh, the, the uh, companies and all the broadcasters were needing this at that time. They, they actually had to do it, you know. Like uh, I lived through the race riots of the '60s, and and we were damn near close to that this last couple of years. So, and the, the one thing is that you've got to learn to understand each other a little more. And also, we've all, we all know that there's always a certain parts of cities that people just don't go. Okay, yeah. white, black, green, orange, doesn't matter. Okay, you don't go to that part of the city, they don't come to this part of the city, and you don't go to that other part of the city because somebody else is 
is in charge over there, okay? And, and that's the facts of life. And anybody that thinks that, oh, well, they shouldn't be doing that, I'm going in there anyways, and then something happens, well, you know what? That's your own fault, and you instigated the situation. So you have to be careful what you do these days because there's going to be people out there just waiting for someone to step across the line, and especially with the turmoil that's going on. And I'll get off of that subject because I don't want to be too political. Yes, of, of course. And but but just so you know, Val, I and the listeners really appreciate that that, that those words because we appreciate it because it's real and it's raw. And that's what we look for on the show. So thank you. Now, to do with that, we'll get off of it right now. Just just to add to that, Rochester, New York was a city that also had riots. I believe that it was the late 70s? Yes. Now, in the late 70s, I'm a big historic buff, so that's why I get this up. And I think you are too, my friend. Now, in the late 70s, the the city of Rochester, New York, in its thriving time, had some race riots. Yes. You know, it was mostly the blacks against the Italians, okay? Now, they had those race riots, okay? And... The city changed a little bit. Now, was that the reason why you were saying everything was brand new in the 80s when you were there? Pretty much. Because uh, the, rebuild? the rebuild, the downtown was, was like immaculate. And I was there about five years ago. Actually, I was there two years ago. but I was, And it's still got the same buildings that were built then. They haven't been refaced or anything. They still look pretty good, but, yeah. you know, it's time to, to move into the future a little bit, right? Yeah. And the, the, the biggest thing that I noticed was the amount of homeless people walking around. That that was a, a, a huge, huge thing that I noticed. There, there was so many people. I was I was I felt so bad, right? It was like wow. And at the time that I went, that was when we had that stretch. It was forty below for like thirty days. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so that was what twenty fifteen, I think it was. That was okay. the first time I went. I just went in 2017, and I did the golf tournament for, for, the, for the Americans. Nice. Right. So it was uh, – and like I said, I was in Henrietta and, and out that way, and that's all still the same. It, it all still looks really rich, okay? So, yeah. Uh, Henrietta, the Henrietta, Brighton. Yeah, all, we're all out there, and it, it was still the, the way it was when I was there and the way it was when you were there. So very nice, very really very you know like it was uh was really nice. Like we ended up staying at the Holiday Inn out there, and it was nice. I mean, like the the houses and that that were around. We were across the street from that. I can't remember what mall it was, but it was probably it was went, probably that the Henrietta Mall then. Yeah, I think so because I know the girls wanted to go to that mall because they always want to do the mall thing when you go somewhere. Yes, of and, course. Now we're talking about Rochester, New York, right now. Okay. Both of our both of our mainstays in our career. Now, how many folks? Now, now I'm looking here. It, it looks like about 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 the better half of the, of five seasons. The better part yeah. of five seasons you spent in Rochester. Yes. Right. Now I spent I spent there four seasons myself, and I'll tell you what, man, that city is a big part of me. That's a big part of me, Val, and. I know that when you played there, I know that you embraced the city. 
I know that it was a big family to you. That, those are the, 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 most, the most common words that I hear whenever you're describing Rochester, because I've read a lot of articles and watched a lot of videos on you, my friend. Oh, I'm a okay. big fan of yours, so I'm a big fan. So it was very enjoyable to do, but those are the words that I noticed. Now, how much of a family was it to you? Like, are you talking booster club? Are you talking the common fan? Are you talking the guys that work at the Blue Cross Arena, the War Memorial at that time? What is it that you're talking about, Valmer? I'm talking about all of the above. Okay. It was, it was incredible. It was like any fan would take you home and, and feed you and, and, and ask you if maybe you wanted to marry a kid or something. No, I'm <laughs> But uh, but yeah, it, it was it was a family thing, you know. Everybody respected each other, and anybody didn't respect it, uh, fans took care of them. Okay, so I didn't have to worry about anything like that, because there's always one, you know that. Yes, of course. Yes, of course. There's so always anybody, one that kind of tries to ruin things. Right. So anybody that got out of hand at the rink, uh, the fans kind of put them in their place, and I appreciate that for all the fans that did go out of their way to uh, protect my name and my honor. Thank you very much. And uh, it's like you can't describe it. You can only live it, and you've lived it, so you you know. And I, I I'm trying to think of something I can compare it to, so that the everyday person, oh, you're on a picnic and you're playing uh, some sport that's a field sport, and you win, okay? And it's a family thing, you know, girls against the guys or every other girl, you know. And you win, and everybody has a good time, and they're jumping up and down because they, they won, right? It, you can compare it to that, but now magnify that about 10,000 times, okay? And, and then you got what we, what we felt. Exactly. Now, Val, I think you, you – I just heard you say that you wanted to thank the fans for protecting your name and your honor with any single person that might be trying to ruin the night. Now – on behalf of the fans, because I'm a fan of the Rochester Amherst, I'm also alumni, I'm a player, but I'm a big fan. On behalf yeah. of the fans, I would like to thank you, Val James, for scoring the game-winning goal in the Memorial Cup championship game. Oh, yeah. I'm, 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 hold, on, hold on. Memorial Cup. I'm thinking Remparts. Yeah. Pop. Rochester yeah. Americans. 1982-83. Yep. That was, uh, I had just come back from being called up, too, during that time. Really? I, yeah, okay. I played the Boston Series. Okay. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So, okay, so, so Val, so, like, okay, the furthest I went with Rochester was a conference final, okay? It was my right. second year. We got to the conference final. And I'll tell you what, man, that was quite the journey. That was quite the journey, just getting to the conference final. Like, that year, I'll never forget, it was, it was such a battle. We got to the third round of the playoffs, which was the conference final. We didn't get to the finals, but the conference final. And, man, was it ever a battle? Was it ever a process? What is, was it ever a journey? Now, you guys won the Calder Cup. You scored the game-winning goal for the Rochester Americans, the second-oldest team in the American Hockey League. Man, oh, man, was that ever an experience for you. Like, Yeah, you know, I can't really explain it. Like, first off, I was still riding that high from being in Buffalo. Okay, yeah. so I get back, 
and then I, I get a, a regular shift, and I'm 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 able to to handle myself pretty good, and I end up scoring. Sean uh, McKenna, wasn't it? Was was the assist on that? Sean yeah. McKenna was the assist. Yes. You played. You played seven games for the Sabers before this game-winning goal. Yeah. Which is pretty cool, man. Yeah, it was all right. You know, like I can remember that it was the Boston series, and they wanted a little bit of more, a little more toughness on the team, so they they called me up, and you know I I was doing all right. I remember Gary Roberts was uh was right with me the whole time. He he like was really like tutoring me the whole time, and that was I was really nice, you know, because I was I was green, you know, I was already ten years behind everybody else that was playing when it came to actual hockey smarts, right? Because yeah. you know, they they had a senior head start on me. So oh, yeah. they all these things that, that the things that I was learning at that point in time, they had already learned. Okay, so I was I was on a real catch up on when it came to that. So being called up and then getting to play seven games and, and fighting a couple of the toughest guys in the league, uh I I was I was feeling pretty, pretty cocky. Okay, so when when I did get it and I did score, I was like, yeah, <laughs> and I was super excited. Don't don't get me wrong, but it, it was it was something. I really enjoyed that, and also, I ended up scoring some winning goals when I was playing in in Erie. Okay, I had I enough. Uh, I see the numbers, buddy. Forty points the first year in Erie. Not bad. Oh, right? not bad. I, I was pretty proud of that. <laughs> right? You're pretty – again, you almost scored 20 goals both seasons in Erie as well, which earned you – you earned getting to the Rochester Americans. You earned breaking those barriers in the, in the 1981-82 season for the Buffalo Sabres, right? Yeah. You've earned everything, you've earned everything that you've gotten, Val. And, and that's what's most impressive. Now, Val, man, okay, first of all, right off the hop, will I please get you for a part two? I still have a bunch of stuff I have to ask you, but, Val, I haven't even been able to touch half the things because you're just such an interesting and, and, and charismatic person that oh, I'm just in awe listening to you. Will you yes. agree to a part two before yes. we continue? Yes. I really appreciate that, my friend. This is what I want to touch up on now. Now, Val, I'm a kid that grew up in Toronto, okay? The way that I grew up, my culture was walking over to my grandparents' house that lived five minutes from my mother's house where I grew up, watching Hockey Night in Canada, Toronto against whatever team they were playing, drinking hot chocolate and raisin bran toast, with my grandpa and my great-uncle Frank in the living room of where I actually am right now because my mom bought my grandfather's house years later. Okay? I do the recordings from my mother's house, which is a great opportunity to get to visit with my mom, so on and so forth. Now, Val, back to the hockey. Is yeah. she, uh, she was. She was. And, and, and she knew, she knew how, how nervous I was, so she kind of kept a little distance. Usually she'd be all around. You, you probably would have been talking to her. She definitely wanted to talk to your wife. And you know what I mean? She's off doing a thing right now, but she'll be back. Well, say hi for me. I 100% will, Val. She, she'll appreciate that. 
As a Toronto fan and kid growing up, like I said, I watched Hockey Night in Canada every Saturday night with my grandparents. That's how I grew up as a Canadian kid from Scarborough. Right. Now, the Toronto Maple Leafs was part of my childhood. Well, you know where I'm going with this, brother. You were the first black hockey player for the Toronto Maple Leafs, brother. Yeah. Buddy, I don't know if that, like, I mean, that alone is, is, is a milestone accomplishment. The Toronto Maple Leafs, they're, they're the original 16. That's right. Like I've said before, Maple Leaf Gardens was the Madison Square Gardens of Canada. Yeah. And, and we, we knew that. And if we were playing in the States, we wanted to play in Madison Square Garden. If we came to Canada, we wanted to play in Toronto and uh, the Maple Leaf Gardens. And I, I got to, okay? I, 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 I can say that I played in both places. So that, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty um, pumped about that fact, too. And the fact that I, I put on the blue and white, another team that is immortalized by its fans, okay? So it's, it's, just, it's just incredible. I, 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 didn't, I didn't realize how many fans there were until I actually put the blue and white on. And, and, and they don't forget. You know, I, I, I know I've seen fans that had seen me play, actually been physically there, that still remember, which is I've I, I just got to say thank you to them for that, right? That's, that's, that's incredible. And then even they remember and their kids remember. And then the kids had also given their children a little bit of insight on what was going on. So it's, it's one of those balls that keeps rolling, okay? And, and the thing is, as long as I can come out and, and tell the story a little bit, like you said, get everybody aware of what's going on and what we need to do to come together as a race, a human race, it's, it's, it's there. You know, if, if the people can come together and support me the way they did in the times that I came through here, then I know as, as the human race, we got a real chance, okay? Because, you know, I was just some black kid out of nowhere going through white, white cities and white states, and, and along the way, people were actually helping me that would normally not help a guy like me. You know, so you, you got to say thank you to people like that that had the courage to actually speak up or step up to the plate and actually do things because, you know, they could have lost a lot doing stuff like that back then. Yes, they could have lost a lot, Val. And just to add to what you're saying, Toronto's the biggest city in Canada, Val. Yep. Toronto is the mecca of the hockey world. It's the center of the hockey universe. There's a couple Habs fans that are going to be upset with that. Talk, with that. Yeah, they are. It's true. Like you said, Madison Square Garden, at that time, Maple Leaf Gardens, which is now not the Air Canada Center, but the Scotiabank Arena. That's right. Toronto is also the most diverse city yes. in the world. Not in Canada, not North America, in the world. The most That's diverse right. city in the world. And it was back in 19, was it 1986, Bob? 1986, I think it was. 85, 86? 1987 season, okay? That's when, you, that's when you became the first black hockey player to ever put on the Toronto Maple Leafs jersey. The most diverse city in the world, the most the most pigment you're gonna see in a city per capita. No, yeah. I don't think you understand 
how powerful it was that you broke that barrier for this in particular city. I don't know if you've ever thought of it like that. No, I didn't, but I'm starting to see that. Wow. You did so much. You did so much. You did so much, Val. You did so much for the city, man. I am telling you, I am a resident here. I was born in 82, didn't come to Toronto until 89. Buddy, I heard about you once I was old enough to understand. Really? Val James. Val James, man. I'm telling you, the, Toronto, the fact that you did that in Toronto, like, like, but the nineteen the nineteen eighty one eighty two season in Buffalo, okay? Like that that's something that that barrier Val is one of the most important things in sports. Period. But the Toronto Maple Leaf thing, Val, just because I'm from Toronto, I I just want you to know that you did more for the sport breaking that barrier than I think was possible because the fact that it's the mecca of hockey. Man. And I welcome yeah. on thank you for that, buddy. Well, you know what? I, I again, I have to thank both teams for actually putting me on contract and actually giving me a shot. You know, I I can't thank the teams enough because without them, I would not have done it. And all the without them, without that's it. Without them, you couldn't have done it, Val. But without your determination, without your resilience. Without your pride, without the dominance that you were, Val, like you were so dominant at a time where people that looked like us were not given opportunities, brother. You were so dominant in the passion of what you did that you were given that shot because of how you were brought up on the farm, because of your father, Val, what he instilled in you, that hard work that saying of, oh, that's a job that people just don't want to do. Those are the jobs that you would do on the farm. You're a hard worker. You got thick skin, my friend. It took a lot of those components for you to even give yourself a chance because a lot of people don't even have half of those things, Val, right? So you're more powerful than you could even imagine. And and like I I said, the things that I think need to be most of the, like the, the awareness that needs to be brought from the show, okay, Val, is the fact that you, a man that broke these barriers, a man that's able to do an interview that sounds like you're, you're a university professor. A lot wow. of, no, no, but Val, I'm being honest. A lot of ex-tough guys, they overdid it, man. They don't talk normal now. There's something wrong with them, Okay. You sound like you could be teaching in university. Oh. And, and I got another question for you, my friend. Yeah. How do I get my teeth to look like yours? You have the most teeth I've ever seen. <laughs> well, are you You can make them look like that. Okay. Are you the typical hockey player that has gotten fixed, or is that natural, man? You got to tell me, bro. You got to get fixed. Man. Fantastic work from your dentist. Oh, yeah, I, I keep saying that, too. But, yeah, it, it, and, well, you know what? I, I, needed, I needed a new look. Now, my How old look was... How long you had it like that? Pardon? Oh, How long yeah. have you had a drill like that, man? Well, I decided to get it done, I think it was about eight years ago. 
Wow. Expensive? Uh, a, few, a few thousand. I hear you, buddy. Hey, like I said, the dentist did a good job. I am pushing for this video to, to be on our YouTube channel, so that's why, that's why I keep talking like this, right? <laughs> um, so, Val, I mean, like I said, man, the thing, that, the, the, the thing that I want to bring the most awareness to is that you're a guy that has broken barriers. You're also a guy that you're, you're, you're a public speaker, you're an author. You haven't even gotten into the Black Ice, brother. The, the oh, incredible, incredible book, Black Ice, the story of Val James. With that being said, Sean, I just want to, to let everybody know that it's a book that is not, or it's, a, it's got race in it, but you need to have the racism in it to, to move the story because that's what happened. And what people should be taking away from this book is not about all the racial stories, uh, about the, the will to survive, the will to succeed, you know, the, the determination, the hard work, the perseverance. You know, these, these are the, the qualities that I, I was trying to, to get out in the book by telling the stories that I told. And also there's stories in there that will make you understand that you can't do this, such as that, that the Detroit story about fighting the guy on the ice. Okay, and I told that story today too. Um, yeah. Okay, there's sometimes that you have to be disciplined. And if you lose your head, you're not disciplined anymore. Okay, and that was my fault because I let my discipline slip away because of emotion. And, and I guess if you think about it, there are so many things in life that are made on an emotional call instead of thinking it through first. Okay, and that's the one thing that as a race we have to get away from. You know, before you're going to chastise someone or before you're going to call someone an F and, an F and a hole, think about it. Okay, is it really necessary? Okay, are you disciplined enough to, to, to see that the guy made a mistake and say, all right, you made a mistake, maybe you'll do better the next time. You know, and, and these, this is how we have to construct ourselves to look at things. Right now we're, we're going through a, a transition stage where everybody – is very critical of everyone, okay? And we got to get away from that because that's when bad things start happening. The one thing, the one thing that I love what you said, Val, is you keep using the term as a race, the human race, right? Yeah. And I think that those words there are probably the most powerful because as a, as a unit, everybody... We're unstoppable. We are unstoppable, right? And it's people like yourself, Mel, the leaders, that when people follow you, they're going in the right way. All the words that we're using to describe of how, what, what message you're trying to get out to the, to the readers, like for, for Black Ice, the Val James story, I mean, that's what it's really all about. When you, when you have those things that you're working towards, that's when accomplishments are made. That's when, yeah. that's when goals are met, like making the NHL, like breaking barriers, right? So, so those are the things, like you said, that that's what we both want people to focus on here. We have a lot to talk about about this race stuff, but it's yeah. more about what the race was involved, the race stuff was involved with, which was the journey, okay? And that's what's most important, and that's what I really wanted the listeners to understand was your journey and how important you are to everybody like me and the people after me, right? So now, Val, we talked about a part two, my friend. 
Yes, we did. We've gone about 250% over the average time. I've been on the side, at the edge of my seat listening really? to you. I've been at the edge of my seat listening to you. So it's my fault that we went so long. I'm sure that the listeners are just loving the fact that we went this long. But at the same time, I also don't want Ina James to kill me. Yeah, I Ina James won't kill you just yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Like, sure it's, like you said. I love you, Ina, if you can hear me. Well, well, <laughs> the sheriff loves you. I bet he does. <laughs> oh. you know, I, know, I know that tone. So, so that's okay. Valmore James, okay, we are having a part two, okay? I also have to speak to you about a bunch of other things. One thing is Steve Ludzig. Yes. Steve Ludzig, the Ludzig family speaks so highly of you, man. Ryan, Steve Jr., Dan Lancioni, you know, even Steve himself, they speak so highly of you. There's a couple things that I am involved with with their foundation that I would like to speak to you about because okay. the Sheriff Podcast is a big supporter of the Ludwig Foundation, Steve Ludwig Foundation. We're a big supporter of you. I'm a big networker, and I like to bring everybody together. So right. there's a couple things that I'd like to speak to you about that, my friend. But on behalf of the listeners – on behalf of Kyle Warner, Danny Granger Art, myself, Val, it was such an honor to have you on part one of our show yeah. featuring Val James. Okay? It was such an honor, Val. I appreciate the stories myself because I'm such a big fan personally. Okay? And I know other people appreciate it as well. Um, it, 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 I know I've been talking for a few minutes here. Is there anything that you wanted to get in before, before we say goodbye? No, I just want to say thank you to everybody, and uh, that's all, and and just for supporting me and supporting the show as well. And and hopefully we were able to give people some insight on on the things that are happening in our sport or that has happened. Okay, and now everyone should be thinking about what we can do to improve it and make sure that all the bad things don't happen again. That's right, my friend. And we appreciate that so much, and it's such true words. So, guys, I want to thank you again for tuning in to The Sheriff, featuring so special pioneer and trailblazer, Valmore James, Buffalo Savers legend, Toronto Maple Leaf alumni. Buddy, we were so glad to have you today. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. And, everybody, I just want you to know that Sean and I are frat brothers, okay, in case you didn't get that at the beginning of the program. Yeah, buddy, Brad Brothers for sure. So, all right, guys, thanks again for tuning in again. Special guest Val James. We'll see you soon, ladies and gentlemen. Woo!